0: This episode of Okie Podcast is brought to you by Southwest Trading Company. If you've not been to Southwest Trading Company, please go do that right now. We're out this podcast, but the location for Southwest Trading Company is 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Southwest Trading Company has so many items from so many different artists like jewelry, art, blankets, cedar boxes, clothing, collectibles, you name it, they got it. So why not shop at Southwest Trading Company? Go like the Facebook page, follow the Facebook page to keep up with all new events coming at the store and items. And once again, that location is 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Go check them out and let them know Russ from Okie Podcast sent you. Welcome back to Okie Podcast and on this episode I have Muskogee artist Johnny Daikon. I got it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on man?
1: Oh not much, not much. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Of course. You know this is quite an honor. You know to listen to all your, your podcast and everything going on. Oh, man, mm-hmm. you know I never thought I'd be on here. <laughs> I don't have anything interesting <laughs> to say to be on here. You know? Whatever. <laughs> you know you do. <laughs> yeah, I was at home secretly going, man, I got to get on this show. <laughs> I got so much to tell everybody's just dying to hear what I got to say.
0: <laughs> no, but thanks for coming on. Uh, I remember, like, I think it was a year ago we met, actually. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure, like, that was at the... Muskogee Art Market, yeah, and that's when Chris came and got me. He freaking came over. He came running over to where I was, and he's like, "Russ, come here!" <laughs> Yanking on my shirt, and I was like, "What's going on? Are they fighting or something?" I was like, "Who we scrapping?" You know, and he's like, "Come on, come on!" And, and then he was like, not running, but he was power walking his way through everybody. I was like, "What's going on?" <clears throat> and then we went over, and it was to your booth. And you had a, a, what was that, what's it, what's it called? A, it was holding your prints, I guess. Oh,
1: yeah, it was an easel. Easel. sitting on the easel. That's right. And a special visitor that day. <laughs> yeah. Special guest.
0: <laughs> and he stood there and he said, check that out. And then he said, and I and I said, what? The, I thought he meant the painting. And there was a, I think it was a painting of Bigfoot, right? Yeah, yeah. On the easel. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's cool. You know, like, that's, that's nice. You're going to buy it? And he said, no, not that. And I was like, what? Because you had other paintings too, you know, and I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, right there. Do you not see it? And I said, no, dude. He walked in and he said, look. And he pointed like right at this like shadow. And the light was hitting your easel just right where it made this shadow look like Sasquatch walking.
1: Yeah. It looked like he was hungered over like that Patterson film. Yeah. That's what it looked like. And. And I didn't intentionally do that. I just set up my easels there and put artwork on it. Mm-hmm. And I sit back and all of a sudden I looked at it and it just caught my eye. And it was the lighting in there, the way it was shining off the top of the easel next to it, cast that shadow on there. And there it was on that Bigfoot. That oil passed up when I did a Bigfoot was a little miniature shadow looking at Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, if I see Chris Hill, I got to show him this because I got to show, him. and I couldn't wait for him to come by. You know, kind of, you know, ushering people. Like, come on, come on, come on. Let's go, go, <laughs> make room for Chris. If he comes by, I got him to see this. <laughs> so I thought, well, I took a picture of it, hoping it would come out. You know, almost like it was the real Bigfoot. You know, I was trying to get a good mm-hmm. picture of it. And but yeah, it was. It was amazing that that happened. That's just, it was weird. It looked.
0: Yeah. Well, when I first seen it, I was like. I had to look at it and I said, What is that, a figure? I thought it was like a figure you made. But it was the actual shadow and then I said, Oh, that's that's freaking crazy. I was like, that's pretty cool though and I was trying to like look around and I mean that light was just perfectly on it and Everybody just you guys are like, Don't touch it. Like
1: yeah. <laughs> Sacred Nutscape. No, it's like Elvis yes. on the toast, you know. <laughs> Everybody came by and said, look, it's Bigfoot, you know, and they saw the painting. Then they'd see the, the shadow, but it did. It looked like a shadow of a little figure, mm-hmm. you know, shining on there. But it was and I'm not quite sure how that top part of that easel was doing it, but it was just at the right angle that it when that light it was kind of a backlight shining down it. Cast that shadow right there. Mm-hmm. You know, that was it. Was it was pretty cool. Just perfectly, <laughs> yeah. And I probably couldn't set it up to make it happen again like that. It was just a chance happening, but it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I got pictures of it. I know he he came over and took a picture. <laughs> I think oh you yeah, were there too. yeah, The three of us are like yeah. you know, pointing at it, pointing at it.
0: When did you notice that? Like when you first sat up, or? Well, I sat it throughout up throughout the day.
1: You know, I was moving around a little bit, you know, because I was putting stuff up, and I just happened to glance over at it, and I saw it, you know. And I, at first, like I said, you know, I looked at the picture, you know, to make sure everything's right, and then all of a sudden, my eyes just kind of dropped down. You know, going, oh, hmm. It's Bigfoot. That's cool, man. <laughs> and my wife, look at this! Look at this! You know, she was right there. She saw it right off when she looked at it. That is so cool. Chris
0: lost his mind. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Charge people to come look at the shack. Yeah. You should have (laughs) been like, like
0: had a a little like cardboard around it.
1: Oh, yeah. Like
0: a little show or something.
1: Charge them to take their picture with it.
0: (laughs) But that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it looked like he was walking and then the the arms are like, Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just looked like it. And it was so crazy. And then to see it and take pictures with it and then just to like. I don't know just be like what like not understanding how that was done like yeah. the wonders of the art market I guess
1: yeah like I said I, I couldn't replicate that myself on my own it just
0: happened I think I kept asking you too like how'd you do that man and yeah. you kept I don't know I don't know <laughs> I mean, hold now bro.
1: be trying to do it it just wouldn't work out again. I've had art pieces that go like that i try. trying, it just doesn't work out the way I wanted it to <laughs>
0: but that was how we met and now you know you're doing your second year of yeah. the art market and so you know how that how that first year go for you with it, it?
1: it went real well mm-hmm. and you know um it was just nice that we had our own art market you know the muskogee you know people had an art market because um when i first started doing art markets years ago um about forty years ago, my, I did my first one. It was a uh, Cherokee Nation's Trail of Tears, Trail of Tears in Tahlequah. It was the first first one that I did, and then uh, Five Civilized Tribes Museum was my second one, and then the third one was all the way up Red Cloud Indian School in South Dakota. I sent work up there. I didn't go, but I sent work up there to that one. Mm-hmm. Those are my first three shows, and I thought, boy, it sure would be nice if there was something you know, closer, other than, you know, the Cherokee and Five Tribes, you know, the Muscogee did, mm-hmm. and there really wasn't a, that I was aware of, of any kind of, uh, art-related thing like that going on with the Muscogee at the time, you know, there's a lot of Muscogee artists out there, and a lot of famous, uh, you know, Muscogee artists, but, uh, didn't seem to be promoted like it is now so when this came about after all these years after you know going to Chickasaw Nation to all their shows you know the CSAM that southeastern Indian art market and then their their Sulfur their artesian art festival that Chickasaw Nation does I thought wow this is nice I wish Muskogee Nation would have an art market and you know doing the Cherokee art market and I thought, what well, would be nice. And when they did that, it was really nice. It was almost like a homecoming, because you know there was here in town and there, other Muskogee artists, people I knew, and it just seemed to be a really big turnout. And the the feeling at this market was different than all the lot of other shows that I've done. Just, hmm. and I don't know, because it, it was like a homecoming thing, because there were so many Muskogee people there. And. Uh, it was just a really good feeling and I did real well you know as, far as sales and just everything going on it was it was a good market and I think everybody had a great time and it's what you know they said well we got to do this again so we got the second year and so hopefully you know we'll be down the road and be you know 50 years from now they're still doing the Muscovy Art Market yeah because you know our people are going to be here and we'll still be creating art
0: true yeah, was there? I read that there's uh, 80 artists now. Is yeah. it, was there that many last year? No, no, no.
1: no. I think there was. You know, I'm guessing maybe 60. Mm. I think last mm-hmm. year. But yeah, 80, and you know, they were looking around. They hadn't where they could expand more room, and and so um, you know, it's only going to get bigger. Yeah. Cause it's there's uh, got a lot of good artists. You know, Muskogee artists, and it's it's open. You know, to all tribes. And the, you know, there's all kinds of. Just well, you know, we're creative people, yeah. And just and now's the time, you know, for us to. People are interested. We've got got their attention again, you know. And uh, I remember years ago uh, how things kind of had and flow with native people. You know, they kind of forget about us, and something will happen. Then all of a sudden, oh yeah, these guys, and they'll pay attention, and, and then it'll kind of die down, but. I think right now we're on a on another peak. We've got you know, the dominant society's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially with the Muskogee people, we've got a lot going on with the Muskogee people, and we had Joy Harjo, Muskogee, three time Poet Laureate. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got Stern and Harjo and Reservation Dogs filmed on on the on the reservation, you know. And so now all of a sudden, years ago I remember people asked me, oh uh, what kind of Indian aren't you? I said, well, uh, Creek. Or I'd say Muskogee. And they said, well, i never heard of them. I said, well, uh, Creek Indian. Oh, I've heard of them. Um, but now, you know, we've kind of got this. Uh, we've got their attention. And that opens up the door for other native people, you know. And then so when we have something like this art market, and we bring other natives in, and, you know, um, people come in, they see, All the different, you know, um, artwork. And uh, to me, it always seems like with our art markets, and I've noticed this through the years, that most of our artwork goes to non-Native people Mm -hmm. because they have the money to buy the art. There's an interest there. Um, They may not completely understand where this art's coming from, but they like it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: now this is our chance because i get a lot of questions asked about what this means what is it so there's an interest there and i think that's good because now we've got this chance when we've got through attention we can tell them about what it is and not them just you know guessing what it is mm-hmm. or making up own stories about it you know it's uh it's honest it's truthful and it's coming straight from us and uh telling our own stories and so when we get these art markets and people come in like that it's, it's a great way, it's a great uh, bridging that gap between cultures and getting that understanding because you know it's it's amazing um, non-80s live amongst us, oh, they don't know anything about us mm-hmm. and they've got these ideas these stereotypes, they base their um, opinions of us on and everything Um being Muskogee, um, Southeastern Indian, you know, we've got a different uh, culture, um, ways, and that's um, different than from Plains Indians that most uh, people are used to from stereotypes, you know, living in teepees and buffalo mm. honey and all that. So that plays over until when they come looking at art, they got a certain idea what Indian art looks like. And so, when they go to buy Indian art, they will they may like something based upon how it's... I've seen a lot of times it's the way it's created, but a lot of times non-people who aren't artistic people or art people, mm-hmm. they'll like it because of a color. Yeah. Because it matches them in their house. They may not have a clue what it's about or the meaning behind it, but they like the color it's in it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. But when they go for Indian art, they got an idea of what it should look like. And it should look like those old westerns. It mm-hmm. should be Indians with headdresses on horses and buffaloes and teepees and things like that. So, being a Muskogee artist, um, I, most of my artwork is based on Muskogee lifeways and Muskogee people. Well, we do things different. You know, we didn't live in teepees. Um, so when they come wanting the scene of something native, I'm giving them something really native, but it doesn't look like, you know, we've got cowboy hats on, you know, we're doing the stomp dances. It doesn't look like what they're used to seeing. So mm-hmm. sometimes they kind of pass on it because it's not a buffalo. Yeah. Um. So, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, that's uh, been a... Uh, Something I had to deal with during d- different art shows around the country. Um, you go out to uh, the Southwest, you know, of course, the Southwestern people have a certain style and a certain look, and everybody out there likes the uh, the uh, Kachinas, mm-hmm. the Kachina dance paintings, and you know, I'm just talking about painting, mm-hmm. being a painter. Um, you know, the Navajo Southwestern style of painting. Well, you go out there, something Southeastern, they don't. They don't recognize it; it's foreign to them. Now, sometimes that's uh, that may be a selling point because it's different, and they'll look at it and they'll say, "Oh, you know, I like this because it's different." And I'll have something that's you know different than the other stuff, and I'll add it to my collection, you know. And so, but getting back you when know, we're talking about the Muskogee art market, mm-hmm. that was the best thing because, you know, when they're with Muskogee people; they come in. They recognize the work, they recognize the subject matters that I'm doing, and uh, they really appreciate that, and that's one of the things I like to do in my art, is, um, like I tell people, you know, this art that I do, it's, it's, it was a gift from the creator, he gave me this ability, and when I do these paintings, it's not about me, it's about my people, I'm representing my people, and the uh, i think it's nice that when they come to these shows to see this work they see themselves because i grew up not seeing myself being represented in these in these kind of ways Mm -hmm. um you know like uh, we're talking about uh representation you know like on tv like reservation dogs now when i grew up Mm -hmm. we didn't have shows like that you know we had uh, in the 60s when i was a little boy there was a TV show that came on ABC called Custer of the West and they made him to be this big American hero. Hmm, really? Uh, and uh, that they had of course, you know, Indians on that, but you know how that went played out. Yeah. Um all those Bugs Bunny cartoons would come in, in the afternoon when you come home from school. That's what was playing with those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um there was F troop with those kind of Indians on there. So these kids at school would see that these images, and that's all they saw of Indians. So when I went to, sc- to school the next day, or went around them, that's how they saw me. And mm. they wanted me to you know, be like that. Mm. And so that's why I thought, you know, with this art, it's important to be honest and represent my people. And that's why I didn't just paint Muskogee subject matter because that's uh, who I am and I know the subject matter. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is from what I've seen and experienced. So when I'm doing my artwork, I'm not looking at photographs or, or um, doing a lot of visual research like that. It's mainly what I've seen. So I just replicate what I've seen. And I think it's important because when I, like I was saying, when the importance of this market is when our, our people come in, they see, artwork that represents us and they really like that they like to have it hanging up in their house you know this is us you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and that makes me feel good to know that someone sees a piece of my work like that and appreciates it Mm -hmm. enough they want to they want to bring it home they want to hang it in their home they want to share it with people um and it gets to the point where Family members gets passed down. Even I've seen, I've been painting long enough, I've seen people that art has been passed down. I've been contacted by people who had bought a piece or uh, obtained a piece from an older person who had, they'd seen it all their life growing up. And then this person has now walked on and they've inherited this piece and they love this piece and they've actually sought me out to find, you know, (laughs) to tell me I've got this piece and it means so much to me. And that means a lot to me. That means I've done a good job, especially from Native people, because that's who I'm doing it for. And, you know, I, I've said this a lot because uh, one of these days I'll be gone. I'll be gone. But that work will still be here, and it'll still represent our people, and our people will still be here. And I just want to leave something that they can appreciate and enjoy. And it's great to know that not only Native people but non-Native can see it and enjoy it mm-hmm. and appreciate it. So that's how I, uh, that's what I do in, in this creation for our people, mm-hmm. is I make this art and I share this talent. And to me, that's, you know, I may not be a big award winner, you know, I don't take home the grand prize at the shows or anything, but it's the compliments that people come up and give me about the, the work yeah. that it's touched them. And to me, that means more than any kind of prize money because i I. I I've done something there, you know, I've, I've reached out and I've touched someone. I think that's what art needs to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, go to get back to how important this artwork it is. It's wonderful to be home doing this and have our people come and see this and to, to get through the, uh, not sponsorship, but just the support of our tribe. Mm-hmm. Now the Seeing that how important our artists are as part of our culture and how important it is, you know, to support us, and uh, you know, it's it touches so many things, economic, you Mm -hmm. know, it's an economic boom for us, you know, Um, cultural, you know, it just and art does that, it touches so many people in so many different ways. And so you know, I don't know how far off the subject I got. <laughs> but yeah, it's you know. Sometimes I, I think back. You know, I, I get kind of humble because I thought you know people come up to me and talk about me mm-hmm. doing this work, and and sometimes I, I talk a lot about my work and kind of brag about it in a way because it's still a business, even you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to promote it. Yeah, because if I don't. No one's going to know because I did that for years before I started entering shows. I was doing art, but I never showed it to anybody. I just did it, kept it to myself. And then when I got to the shows, uh, I think what got to me more than the selling part was the, uh, the comments about the work, mm-hmm. what it meant to them. And there is that emotional element there that I was touching somebody. And I guess it's people that write love songs or whatever and put mm-hmm. it out there. And you've got these moments in your life that make you write this love song. And then you put it out there and then other people hear it. And it reminds them, them of their, you know, special someone. or And then it just gets uh, going that way. And that's, I kind of feel like that with my art.
0: Yeah. The little things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah how it is with this. Like, <clears throat> I don't know. I just do it, and I don't really expect nothing out of it. I mean, I like it because it's fun. I get to meet people. I get to talk to people. I get to hear what they do and everything. And then even with the other one, you know, like, we do it because it's just we enjoy it. I mean, on the Unsolved Mystery one, like, it's a lot of, like, historical information, you know, that nobody else really talks about. And then on this one, you know, it's like getting people on here that do are doing what they love and everything, and you know, as to why they do it and what made them want to do it and why they keep doing it. I mean, and sometimes I've heard people say like, you know, sometimes it's just a recognition of like, you know, these small little comments, you know, about like, so, like some like sometimes for me, like this is earlier when I first started, like maybe a year into it. And I I was just you know constantly doing it and I don't know I just got like I started thinking like uh you know like kind of doubting yourself like you know is this reaching anybody you know you start questioning a lot of stuff and all of a sudden like I just get like random messages like like man, just keep doing what you're doing man like we enjoy it and then like even like some like we went to like Stroud Power last year there's this guy and. Like he recognized me and everything. And I was, he was like, Man, he's like, Don't you do him, bro? He's like, I enjoy listening to it. You know, it's really inspirational. It was just like so random because I was like, I was like, Dang, that's crazy. Cause, you know, I was like, I, We had some stuff going on. So I was kind of like, I don't know. Like I just wasn't really feeling myself, I guess. And then like, but it's just those little things, man. Like the little compliments, you know, the little inspirational things that people can say to you that, you know, it's like, yeah, like, you know, you have a reach that you don't really know you do have, but it's nice to hear it or it's nice to see like in a comment section or like your reviews or something, you know, and then like all the markets you've been to, like within the year, like I've known you, I've ran into you at different art markets. I mean, and that's where, like, I always seem to run into you. And, you know, and we're on Facebook as well, so we always support each other and everything. But, I mean, just in that time, you know, like, you know, I you do have a lot of support, you know, and, and you, you get some beautiful work, man. And, uh, you know, I enjoy, like, seeing you at all these events too. You know, I think the last one was that at Indigipop. And I think the one before that was... uh Dang, it might have been Cherokee Art Market. Yeah, at Hard Rock, yeah. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then I think there was a that Skazdicon that uh, Oh Cherokee. yeah, we, that's we right. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. too busy. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm all over. I'm a social butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, like you're saying, it's one of those things that you enjoy doing. And you know, I never, uh, when I was younger, you know, a little backstory on me. I'm, my father was a sign painter. Oh, the old school hand lettering, sign painters, mm-hmm. and uh, he moved us over from Oklahoma to Arkansas in the '60s, early '60s, and because he's followed he followed the work, and that part of Arkansas was growing. So he moved us over there, and uh, he was a World War II veteran, and he also knew how to work on cars, and he did the sign painting. And so he moved us over there, and he moved us to Springdale, Arkansas. And he picked Springdale because it was between Fayetteville, which had a VA hospital, mm-hmm. and Rogers, where he bought a gas station, a golf station that he could—had two bays. He could work on cars on one bay and paint signs in the other one. And this is back when they used to do billboards, uh, hand-lettered billboards, and he would do them big sections of uh, four- eight-foot panels and then— He would paint them in there then go hang them up, take them out, and then hang them up on these big wooden frames. And this uh, was in the 60s, and back then billboards were just every few feet, there were billboards everywhere. And so um, businesses were growing in that area, so there was a lot of work. And so he moved us over there. Of course, he moved us to Springdale, Arkansas, and this was in the early 60s, and he didn't really... uh, vet the area out real well and he never thought about when he moved us from Oklahoma over there but it was a sun downtown it was a segregated town there were no black people allowed in this town Mm -hmm. and so he moved us there and uh of course he was Cherokee you know he had dark hair dark skin but he had a he had a a talent that they needed so it was kind of overlooked Mm -hmm. so he was able to get in there but he didn't think when he moved us over there what it would be like for me in school and everything. So I ended up uh, in this town with all these little children and people, you know, adults even that were behaving badly, (laughs) you know, didn't know how to react to me. And so uh, it got a lot of racist uh, things. So Mm -hmm. I became kind of introverted, you know, because of way I was treated, you know, by children. But you didn't get any relief from adults because the adults would show up when the kids were treating you a certain way and watch the kids Mm -hmm. and egg them on and stuff. And so I had to put up with that in school. So I got really introverted, got real quiet, because I didn't want to draw attention to myself. Mm -hmm. Because I walk into a room, all eyes were on me. I got all the attention. And it was not good attention. Mm -hmm. So I was quiet. And with Dad being a sign painter, and he also did all kinds of artwork. He was very talented. And those old sign painters back then had all kinds of talents in their repertoire that they had to do. Um, He was real good at drawing and sketching, laying things out. Because he was always having to design signs. And he had all kinds of drawings of signs that he he would actually draw them out, how they would be put together, because he would make mechanical signs that moved big signs um he blew glass cuz he would do neon so he he knew how to blue gla- blow glass mm-hmm. um he would do menus draw up menus um so he was with pen and ink paper and he'd draw these menus out and lay it all out for, to go to press to be printed um so he had all those talents. So I watched all of him, watch him do this. So I got this interest in, in this art in that way. Mm-hmm. Of course, he had paint, tons of paint. So I got interested in all these colors. Well, like I said, you know, being kind of introverted because uh, the way I was treated, and I couldn't get a lot. Sometimes I couldn't get kids to play with me because their parents wouldn't allow them to play with me or anything. So I was, you know, if I went outside sometimes groups of kids would show up and i'd get i'd actually get beaten a lot of times you know but these other kids they gang up on me Mm -hmm. so i stayed around the house so i drew i started doing using some of his art material so i started at a real young age doing that and never was very good at sports either so um but i was good at that you know and so that's where my interest in that started at a young age. And uh, unbeknownst to uh, them, as I was growing up, I had some—I had really bad eyesight,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it would just kept getting progressively worse the older I got. So by the time I got to school, into in later on into the school years, teachers always moved me up. Closer to the board and everything. And then I think this didn't help because they always thought I oh, wasn't very smart simply because, you know, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it was uh, a lot of times I had trouble with uh, the works because I couldn't see. And so I they finally caught it because they would give us eye tests at school and that's how they caught it. And uh, they sent a note home to my parents, this kid, you need to get him to an eye doctor because he he can't see. He couldn't pass his eye test. Of course, you know, at the house, I was, I was fine because I was nearsighted. So when I'm drawing and reading and stuff, it's like right here in my face. So I didn't have any problem. But it was everything else outside, you know, that was right directly in front of my face was a blur. Mm. And what I was doing was navigating in a world of, of fog, of colors but I was like a blind person. I knew where things were at. So I was moving around and stuff, but I was always knocking things over, glasses and stuff when I was reading because I couldn't really see it. So, you know, they would say, "Oh, he's just clumsy." Mm. But it was I couldn't see. <laughs> I was, <laughs> so when I got to the eye doctor, he actually fixed my eyes and he told my parents that this kid's legally blind in the state of Arkansas without corrective lenses. And so, uh this is where the Indian art came. Um, first time I ever saw it was an optometrist in Springdale, Arkansas. There was two optometrists, uh, Horner and Partain, was the two doctors' name that was in this building. I don't know which one of them it was that collected the art, but in his office he had arrowheads and cases. But he had the old flat style paintings. And I didn't know that when I went in there because I couldn't see anything. Mm-hmm. But I got these new glasses, and when I put them on, and he said, Look around, what do you see? And I was looking around. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there was these paintings on these walls of Indians. And I was like, Wow. Yeah, and that that imprinted on me. I was just taken with it. After all the the heartache and stuff I put up being native in that town. All of a sudden I can see now and I can see clearly and I'm seeing Indians. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing native paintings for the first time. And I was so moved by that. that I started uh, trying to replicate that when I got home. What I remember in my head, seeing in those paintings, Mm -hmm. using my dad's sign painting paints and stuff, you know, and his brushes. And, uh, And I only saw them once a year when I went back for checkups Mm -hmm. to get new glasses. I would see those (laughs) (laughs) paintings. Of course, you know, this was in the the time before the Internet, before there was any way for me to actually get out and see it, you know, in that part of the country. It was just fortunate that he was a collector of Native American art. Mm -hmm. And so I I saw that, and it just stuck with me. Through the years, it stuck with me. And so, like I was saying, you know, I do my art at home for myself, and it was something that I did for myself, and it brought me great pleasure, um, because it, it was, it was calming, it was peaceful, there wasn't any, uh, strife of having to relate with other people, mm-hmm. you know, when I get out in public and just be treated badly, and, uh. That was a tough time, you know. When I look back on it, you know, I, I get, I feel real bad about those times because I got, I've, I've developed a lot of issues with myself, and see that happened to a lot of Native people. And at the time, I thought it was just me. I didn't realize it was happening to other Native people too, but that just that constant, you know, digging at you—that mm-hmm. you're less than—that you, and you start to feel bad about yourself. Because, you know, I was, uh, I got those feelings because I would uh, walk into a room and then automatically everybody had this opinion of me. Mm -hmm. And it was negative. And I always thought, why, why do you, why do you dislike me so much? Why do you treat me like this? Because I haven't done anything to you. All I did was walk into the room. I haven't, I haven't done anything to make you mad at me. I haven't destroyed anything. I haven't been mean to anybody but as soon as I walked into the room it was almost like you know I was a horrible person so I started feeling like it's me I'm a horrible person mm-hmm. but my art always felt good with my art and so uh, that was my escapism you know I thought even then, at a young age I thought I had this opportunity this art came to me you know and it was, tu- and I was touched by it, and so I started, you know, <laughs> doing it. And so that there was that kind of a spiritual feeling to it mm-hmm. came to me. Um, and then through the years, you know, I as I got older, I uh I found out about bacon, you know, and this is after I was out of high school, I was out of high school about seven years mm-hmm. before I went back to college, and I stayed out of college because. I always thought, but when I went to school in high school over there, um, they didn't really prep you for college. And I don't know if other people got prepped for college, but I think me, they thought, let's just get him graduated and out of here. Mm. Um, I didn't know anything about SATs or you need to do all this college prep work or anything. Cause there was no guidance counselor that, that talked to me about this, you know, um, I just graduated and I was done with school, and I thought, well, I'll never be able to go to college because I thought you had to have algebra in college, and I never had algebra in school. I was in basic math, mm. and I struggled through basic math, you know. Yeah. And so I thought, well, there's no need for me to even—they they won't even take me into a college because I don't—I don't have any math skills. So you know, I thought about—I uh, wanted to be an animator in high school. I thought, oh. Uh, I need to. Of course, this is pre-internet. You know, this is uh, late '70s, early '80s. I'm thinking, well, where where do I need to go to pursue this dream? So I started writing letters. Um, I get these addresses. I go to the library and find addresses and books and things and uh, arts, um, different animation studios and stuff or write them and some of the addresses are old from these books like, they were <laughs> no longer at that address but sometimes they'd get forwarded on i sent one to disney asking hey you know what do you, how do you get into doing a disney animator and i got a letter back from disney Whoa. and i thought it was cool because the guy who whoever he was and i don't know what he was with the animation department but his name was donald Duckwald. And I thought, well, that's cool <laughs> for for Disney. <laughs> and I remember that name because Donald Duckball just stuck out. Uh-huh. And he said, "Here's where you need to go if you come to California." And he gave me all these lists of schools in California. He goes, "This is where we get our animators from." He said, "If you work for Disney, you got to draw. You got to really be able to draw." And he said, "That's we look at. You know, your ability as an artist, being able to draw. And this is where we get our animators from to start. You know." I thought, well. I'm never gonna make it to California, <laughs> you know? So it, it was just a pipe dream for me. But mm-hmm. I was really interested in animation, um, the old cell animation. You know, this is before the computer animation they do now and everything. It was the old cell, like the old Disney style, the old Ralph Bakshi, um, the old Bugs Bunny style. You know, mm-hmm. with the uh, cell animation. Mm. I always thought that'd be cool because I thought I'd like to make my drawings move because they always wanted I wanted to tell a story with them. And, you know, I'd I'd always, when I did this art, I always had these stories in my head about the art, you know. And so, and I loved comic books when I was younger. And so, you know, as time goes on, these opportunities came to me. And I actually began to see how these things kind of stair-stepped. And how uh, I was being guided in this direction. And I'd have certain things happen to me in my life. That I thought, "Oh, this is horrible," but something else better would come about because of it. And I just kept this faith that I was being taken care of. That something was guiding me. And so, uh, you know, doing this art, it, it was my thing. It was it was my thing. And I guess it, it it's kind of life saving in a way because in a way because you know I had all these. Um, Emotional problems, these uh, self-doubts, uh, real insecure. Um, I just felt depressed a lot, bad, because you know how I was treated. But I, uh, I never turned to drugs or alcohol. I never turned to crime. I never did anything that made me think because I was doing art instead. You know, I, That was my savior. That was my, my go-to thing. Mm-hmm. That's what kept me out of trouble whenever I felt the, my lowest, I'd always feel better if doing this art. And so, you know, it always gravitated to what I knew. That was Indian subject matter. You know, being, in uh, me being, uh, raised up in Arkansas, you know, I was away from a lot of things happening in, in Oklahoma mm-hmm. around the Muscogee nation and stuff. Um, so, you know, I didn't get to go to a lot of ceremonies. You know, I didn't have a ceremonial ground because our, um flop lock when our ceremonial ground, uh, they put the fire to sleep in their, in the early 60s. So we didn't have a ceremonial ground anymore. Um, but when I'd come back to Oklahoma to visit our, our family members here, my uncle would take me you know, to different different grounds. And you know, there we were just visitors at these grounds, but I would observe, you know, what was going on, and you know, I saw the importance there, of you know, what was happening at these grounds. And uh, that always, there was always that feeling there that I I couldn't find any place else. And that was another thing I think that that isolation from being away from it mm-hmm. gave me a deeper appreciation. Of, of it because i wasn't with it and i craved it so when i was around it it meant more i didn't take it for granted it was um it was really special um so that that played a lot into my work and as i you know started doing more i wanted to do it uh, an honest an honest portrayal of what i saw and i didn't want to do artwork that was just out there making a buck and just doing what people wanted so i was doing my own stuff you know. like we were talking about earlier when you you do things and you're wondering if people are getting it and uh i know when i do it i know when when i'm doing the muskogee people get it Mm -hmm. but i i did a piece years ago and it was at philbrook um, in one of their indian art annuals that they had that they were trying to bring back and they what was it sometime in the 90s i think uh, lydia wyckoff who was the uh, she was the native american art curator at philbrook was trying to bring back the philbrook annuals and so they had this little uh, art show um and i did a piece and it was a fishing medicine piece and it was an old flat style painting. And what I did was they used a devil's shoestring and they'd grind it up to a powder and they'd throw it in the water. And what it would do was paralyze the fish and the fish would float up. And then they'd go out and gather the fish. Mm-hmm. Well, they'd throw that powder out there and then the men would get out in the water and kind of mix it around in the water. And uh, what I did was a flat style painting and it was a uh, the men out in the water. And then I did it kind of like, you know, how water will the refraction, when you look at a glass of water and everything's kind of, you know, the the legs would be over here and the top of the person would be over here. I did that. And and then the fish were underneath, you know, the water and everything. And I did it real, it was real detailed, but it was still in the flat style. And it was an old traditional scene, the way we used to fish. And I put it in the show. And people would come up to me, non-natives would come up to me, I just love that piece. It's so funny. It's just hilarious. And I didn't get it. I said, like, what's so funny about them? They're just fishing, you know? And uh I thought, well, wow. And it's one of those kind of things that make you feel like you missed the mark. Mm. But then I thought, wait, well, but Muskogee people knew exactly what it was, you know, and and that's when I realized, oh I'm I'm hitting my target audience. And they mm. appreciate it. They like it. And the other people liked it the way it looked, but they were getting a different message on it, but I felt like I I was failing because I thought, as soon as I painted something, someone's automatically going to know what that means and, and feel the same thing I'm feeling, well, you know, it doesn't work that way you know, so I put that painting out there and I felt real bad about it at first you know, but it sold and you know, people loved it and just, um I came I came to terms with it. I realized it's a teaching moment. These people didn't know what it was. And this was my chance to step forward and say, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, that's another thing that I need to be doing with this art. Um, it's a way of getting out there to people that don't know who are now interested. It's got their attention to let them know what it is because to their no fault of theirs. They didn't know. They didn't know what it was. And so it was my responsibility to let them know. And so I kind of see that as my responsibility with this art, doing that. Um, It's kind of like letting people know, here we are. This is what we do. This is who we are, you know. Uh, Thanks for your interest in, you know, just. uh,
0: Like educating. Educating. And open
1: up that door and kind of bridge that, you know, that thing there kind of get rid of that what i used to have to put up with because they didn't know me mm-hmm. they just automatically judged me and based upon whatever notion they thought you know, indians were lying you know, and i had to deal with that um here's a crazy little story and this happened when i was older and i was uh i was in my 20s i worked at the hospital over there
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i worked uh I worked nights, and I worked with an older lady, and, uh, she would bring in this greenware, uh, ceramic stuff, and she'd, at night, she'd be sitting there scraping on it, cleaning it up, so she could glaze it, and then they'd burn, you know, uh, I guess put it in the kiln and get it ready for, you know, to be done, uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of interesting. She goes, "Oh, you ought to go to this place. Um, They got all this stuff, and you look at, you know, you pick out what you want, and then you you take it home, and then you clean it up like this, and then you glaze it, and you take it back to them, and then they fire it, and then you know, you got a little ceramic piece, you know." Hmm. So I went over there and I looked at it, and uh, looking at all the stuff they had, well, they had this one Indian bust. It was pretty good sized, and I was looking at it and. The woman, you know, I told her, oh, I worked with so-and-so, and she sent me here. And, oh, yeah, she's here all the time, you know. But um, I kind of like that bust, you know. I thought it was really cool. I said, well, I want to try that. And she goes, oh, yeah. She goes, a lot of people will make this into a lamp because, you know, it was a big base. You, know, you can make a perfect lamp out of it. And her husband was in the back, and he didn't see me. He didn't know I was Indian. And he made the comment out to her. He yelled it out. He goes, yeah. He goes, she said, a lot of people make it into a lamp. And he yells out to her. He goes, yeah, that's the first time I ever seen an Indian that worked. Whoa. Yeah. And her face just drained, you know. And uh, half of me, I heard it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I was just like, But at the same time I, I was used to it <laughs> mm, yeah, and so I didn't get upset. I just let it roll off my back because I figured well, that's just way people here are, so I bought it <laughs> but the, I think it was a couple of days later the lady I worked with said, oh she goes she wanted me to apologize to Hugh for what her husband said. she said she really read her husband the riot act after what he said mm-hmm. and uh she said, you know, she felt bad about it, but, you know, that was the kind of, kind of the thing that I had to put up with that, like I said, you know, helped, uh, get me in the art thing and, and sent me on this path that, that to use this art to, you know, not only, uh, give our people something to be proud of and look at and, but just, uh, other people just to, maybe get that same feeling
0: yeah yeah that's yeah, crazy man like because even when i was in school like there was some uh how would you say like uh peers like other my you know other kids you know that were just some of them got in a lot of trouble and but a lot of us others didn't right like it was a, it was just a you know it's just like how how it is to everybody like some people get in trouble some don't and yeah. i mean but it's always i feel like i don't know i don't really want to say it was but it felt like at least for me like the same thing it was like uh just there wasn't really any help on like getting into school and even like I don't know. We just never talked about it. Like other Nate, like we were just trying to get by. You know, like we we're just trying to get to where it was we we're going next. Like I did not have a plan after school because, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't like dumb or anything. I just like, I I really didn't see the point in going to school. You know, like I didn't like it didn't interest me enough. Like the only thing that really interested me was like playing sports. Was yeah. like football and I got hurt. So I couldn't really do that anymore because I kept getting hurt. So it was like, you know, what's the point, you know? And it kind of, that made me depressed too, because it made me, I worked so hard to do that. And yet I kept, I still kept getting hurt. And then it was just like, after that, I was like, I don't really see a point. And then like, even like when my mindset was like, You know, nobody ever talked about, everybody was like, everybody would say, go to college, go to school, get your education, continue it. But it was never like, this is how you do it. And this is the proper steps of doing it. It was just always like sayings of that. And so growing up here, I grew up in a small town and (laughs) we didn't have internet either. I mean, like they had them at public at the school and then the library and then like this uh, little Uh, I guess tutoring place called the Rome Chief building. And they had internet there. But I mean, it wasn't like state of the art stuff. They were just like the big box computers. And it was always, it was just like old, like older uh, equipment. And so I, and I never even knew what to look up on the internet. I mean, it was just like goofy stuff, like just stuff (laughs) like we would just laugh at on there. But, you know, like I never had internet in my house. So it's not like, I knew what to look at for college. And then even then, you know, like in school, I got put into an alternative class because just, it was basically probably like, just man, just let him graduate and get him out of here. Like that was like, just probably the main thing of like, just, you know, let's just help him get his, uh, not degree, but diploma. And it was like, you know, like, and then there like, they never taught us anything either. It was just like, all right just go through the motions and then you're out of here and there was no preparation like honestly to be honest I didn't even know there were like I knew like from college sports like there were colleges outside of here Mm -hmm. but I didn't know there was like native schools like native colleges out there the only one I knew of was Haskell yeah and that was like the only option that I could probably think of to do, but then everybody was like, "Don't go there because you'll just end up like drinking." You know, like it was just the same stuff all the time. And but I had family go there, and it was just like they'd always say, like, "It's just the choices you make." You know, like it's just like how you how you do it. You know, like you can go anywhere and do that. Yeah. You know, you're an adult. You can do whatever you want. But it was always like, "Don't go to Haskell because you're just going to end up," you know ruining your life and so that's what made me not want to go there and so the same i just stayed home for a year and i worked and didn't really think much of myself because i felt like i was already counted out in high school yeah it was like you know i'm not good enough to even go to school so you know why even try and it felt like the teachers like didn't really care unless you like pay unless you're playing the sport i guess But if you were hurt all the time, it was like, uh, you know, it's on the side or whatever. But and so that's why, like the same thing, man, like I've honestly I had no interest in doing it. I just had I just really didn't think I was good enough to even go to school because of the it was just like being counted out and just like, okay, I'm probably stupid. Then I'm probably too stupid to go. You know, I don't understand like what did what college even is. And yeah. nobody explains it to me. But then, you know, stroke of luck, my aunt told me about I.I. And like you, I didn't know about SATs. I didn't know I had to take that test. And I didn't know, like, the proper steps of funding, like the government funding, FAFSA and all that. Oh, For, yeah. the, for your parents to fill out, too. I didn't know anything about that. See, like, they never told any. any they didn't tell me about that. You know, the counselors or anything. And like you said, like, you, I don't know if anybody else was prepped. They probably were, but, you know, I wasn't. I, <laughs> yeah, I think Yeah. prepped it all. So all, all the steps that I figured, all the steps that I um, was told I had to take, man, it was a lot. It was so crazy because I was like, bro, there's no way, like, I'm going to go. E- like, even if I get all this stuff done like what's the chance of me even like getting accepted you yeah. know like you're already from like the past people counting you out you i was already counting myself
1: out of everything oh yeah
0: and that's that's just like just the way it was like i was just like just always like I'm not going to do it i'm just going to be here i'm going to work and then hopefully i can move up around here or something you know and stay out of trouble
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, when you don't get that support, you know, I mean, it's, it's real important. I think um, you don't go into school, and there was no mention of college, you going to college, military. Oh, yeah, that, that was how it was too. In, in, in 78, 79, I think it was, I was only 16. I went for my uh, delayed enlistment physical at the age of 16 to go into the Army. Mm hmm. And so I hadn't a clue. I'd never been, you know, away from the home. So here I was in the big city of Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> you know, and the I actually got to fly down there for the uh, the physical. I get down there. Uh, the recruiter, he's all, you know how recruiters are. They're all hot shot to get you signed up and everything. And mm-hmm. Come by the house, picked me up, took me to the airport. I flew down there. When I got down there. Uh, when I, they found out that my hearing was not real good, and it was, it was subpar for military. So that's why I didn't get in. Um, the, the funny story was that I didn't realize this at the time. There was, it was the what they called the AFUSE building down there. And I guess it was all the military. There was Navy, Marine, Air Force, Army. They all had doctors in this building. They're all, you know inspecting you and everything mm-hmm. um so i spent the day wandering around in that building getting you know all these inspections and stuff and uh exams and everything in my underwear with a bunch of guys i didn't know some of them were older than i was you know because they were out of high school you know they weren't like uh, a lot older than i was and they're probably 18 19 but you know at 16 those seem like you know adult men you mm-hmm. know yeah um but the, what I got at the end um, past everything except my hearing. That's what got me. And I was sitting there in front of a, a Navy doctor and I thought it was kind of weird. I said, "Well, I'm going in the Army why, why isn't the Navy doctor you know talking to me mm-hmm. But he's sitting there flipping through my chart and he goes, um, you got lake water in your ear, don't you son?" And you know, I didn't know how to swim. And I never went near water because I didn't know how to swim. So and I was never at the lake, so I didn't have lake water. And I go, no, sir, uh, I don't know how to swim. So I, He goes, son, I know what lake water looks like. That's lake water in your area, isn't it? And I said, no, sir. And he kept looking at me, and what he was trying to do is get me to agree with him so he could pass me on oh. with my hearing. Mm. But I was honest dumb honest i kept saying no sir because i didn't want to lie to him he was an adult he was an officer in the in the military (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know and i was trying to get into the military you know it's like a job interview you know you want to put your best (laughs) so i was trying to be as honest with him as i could and i think he finally got tired of me thought this guy's an idiot he's not getting these clues he finally said here's here's the point son you can't hear he goes we can't have you on the front line they're giving orders there's you know, explosions going on around you, you can't hear. It. You'll get somebody killed. Mm-hmm. So he said, "You know, we're going to have to pass on you." So that was it. You know, that was my military career right here. <laughs> so I get home. Well, I go back to the to the to the hotel, and then I get on the the car. It takes me to the airport. They fly me back. And I get to the airport. I called the recruiter who was surprised to hear from me. (laughs) And uh, because some of these guys were leaving that day from the military, I think they were not coming back. They were, you know, they got accepted and went on to whatever they were doing next. uh, Mm Because he was shocked that I was back. (laughs) And I told him what had happened. He goes, what? (laughs) (laughs) He he didn't pass. I said, yeah, can you come get me? And you can hear him tapping. You're going, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. just didn't want to come get me almost <laughs> but he finally came and got me and brought me home but yeah um that was the prep i got in the military that's the place for you and uh, you know i wasn't cut out for military i don't know you know how good i would have done you know they were telling me all kinds of things when i went oh if you go into the army i was interested in animals I always loved animals and they said well you become you could go in um become a veterinarian and go into the you know army medical corps become a captain be a veterinarian in the army and you know with the canine units and all this and that all oh, that'd be cool because when i was growing up there was an old man who lived across the street from us and he was a world war one veteran and he was in the he was an old, he went to veterinarian school, graduated in 1912. When World War One came around, he got drafted. Of course, he was a veterinarian, so they they sent him to France, and he was going to be, I guess, a, a vet with a cavalry unit or whatever. But he when, the, when he got to France the day the war ended, so he said, I never even got off the boat. They wouldn't even let me off the boat. <laughs> so all I got to see was uh, France was from the deck of the ship. But I thought that was interesting because he had the the most interesting stories about the animals he took care of through the years. And I thought, oh, that'd be cool to be a vet. So when they said, oh, you could be a vet. I thought, oh, that's like one of the first time anyone ever said anything. You could be this. Mm. Mm Of course, you know, it was an Army recruiter telling me stuff. Um, But surprisingly, I guess I scored really high on my test. Mm Mm-hmm. Or they just told me that because all of a sudden I got a call from the Navy. We saw your test scores, and they were pretty interesting. They said, um, and they didn't say anything about my hearing. They said, your weight, you're five pounds over the weight limit, but you'll lose that in boot camp. We're really interested in uh, you getting in the Navy. And I thought, the Navy? I <laughs> did, did you hear the story from the, your Navy doctor? I don't know how to swim. I thought, <laughs> you don't want me in the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> so... You know, a Navy recruiter shows up at my house, and he's telling me all these stories. And he says, well, you know, here's all these opportunities in the Navy. He goes, and he was showing me, the things, what would you be interested in? He was showing all these things. He goes, oh, here's one Motion Picture Corps. And I thought, oh, that'd be cool, Motion Picture Corps. I said, what do they do? He goes, well, you see all these photos or news things on, um, clips on the news of the ships and things going on with the Navy. He goes, that's what they do. They go out and film. The ships and sailors doing things and, you know, that's what you'd be doing. Of course, he didn't, you know, he never went and told me that those jobs are hard to get. <laughs> Just because you say this is what you want doesn't mean that's what you're going to get. Of course, you know, the, the Navy didn't ever happen for me. Either. <laughs> it, was it was one of those kind of things that these things were set me up that never would happen because I was supposed to take another path. Yeah. And I've noticed that in my life. these paths that I took leads me to where I'm at today. That's why sometimes I don't, I don't really, now that I'm older and wiser, (laughs) I'm doing the air quotes now, older and wiser, mainly older. um, I look back into my youth and I think, well, you know, I really was kind of foolish, you know. Um, Some of the things I let happen to me or the things I did, um, a little more. Uh, I think I got my confidence. Mm. It came with age, you know, and, and all these things people used to say about me. I know it's not true, mm-hmm. you know, and because uh, I'm not that person, I know who I am, and I'm not a bad person, you know. And so um, that that kind of played out with me, and it, it kind of helps with the art too, because you know I I feel confident. And when I do the art, I feel really confident when I do it. And, uh, I don't know if I'm a good artist or the best artist or whatever kind of, I just enjoy what I do and I feel comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 just can't stop doing it cause <laughs> I love it so much. And, uh, and that's, that was one of the things that happened to me. Um, I know I kind of jump around in my stories because i got so many <laughs> crazy stories about my life, um, Back in 2000, this is after I graduated IA. I graduated there at, uh, in December of, of 99. And uh, I graduated at Christmas time. So at Christmas break, that was it. had a small little graduation ceremony there and I came home and then I went back and walked with the rest of the class in, in the spring mm-hmm. in uh, 2000 when they had that graduation ceremony. Was class in 99, technically. But... Uh, that June, 2000, I, went, I got a chance to go to Isles York, the Indian art market there in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Always heard about that art market. It was fairly new at the time, but I'd heard about it, and I thought, oh, this would be really cool. Um, that was my first art market where you set up a booth and you sell art. It wasn't like the other shows where you send your artwork or you drop artwork off and get juried in, and it gets hung. Mm-hmm. This is where you actually set up and you sell. Um, so I went there. My wife was uh, she was about six months pregnant at the time. So we checked with her doctor. Is it okay for her to travel to Indianapolis for this? And he said, yeah, he's because we, she wasn't going to be doing any heavy lifting or anything. She should be sitting. You know, the car ride, you know, is probably the most uh, strange. But other than that, you're just sitting. Um, so he said, she should be just fine to travel. So we get up there had a great weekend, you know, first time there, and it's one of those kind of things where you think, am I just getting, or thinking you're too important or too big in this creation when you do something, but I got a, first time there, I got first place, best in the division, and I sold a lot of things, and I felt really good about that show, and uh, we had a good weekend, you know, and but she was having a little bit of pain during this time, and we thought, well, you know, she'd call the doctor, and he said, well, honey, you're fixing to have a baby in a few months. You know, you're going to have little aches and pains you're not used to. And but it kept getting worse over the weekend, and so uh, this was a Saturday Sunday show, and uh, Sunday, you know, we closed up everything, packed up everything into the the truck, and um. Of course, you know, I was doing all the moving and stuff. She was just sitting there. Um, but she was uncomfortable. And she was really in a lot of pain on the way back home. Of course, it was about a 10-hour trip from Indianapolis to Tulsa. And uh, we get in that afternoon, probably about 5 o'clock. And she calls uh, calls her doctor. And he, he said, well, he said, 'Won't you come in tomorrow morning, we'll look at you. See what's going on. So it's Okay. So a little bit later, um, she goes into the bathroom and I hear her holler out. Well, what she thought was the baby's head was actually the the water sack had moved down, um, on her. And so what she had was an incompetent cervix. And we didn't know at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had, uh, she called her doctor and he said, well, go on up to the hospital. I'll meet you up there. So we go up to, to, uh. Uh, St. John's, and I take, I drop her off at the emergency room, and she goes in, and I move my truck out of the emergency, um, drive there, and park it across the street, and I come back, and ask them there, you know, where's my wife at, and they said, well, they've taken her up to uh, labor and delivery, she's fixing to have a baby, and I said, oh, no, no, she's not having a baby, she's only six months pregnant, and so I get up there, and, uh, Sure enough, she went into labor because she had an incompetent cervix, and that baby had slid down far enough in that it was setting off all the signals that she was going to give birth, that she was in labor. And I guess the baby had slid down so far, there was no way that they could actually stop that. And so the doctor told us, he said, what's going to happen is she's going to have to go ahead and go into labor, and we're going to have this baby sometime tonight early in the morning he says but this baby's coming and there's nothing we can do to stop it and he goes No, I want to prepare you now but he says only being six months pregnant he said there's a lot of things if this baby lives she said and it was a little girl she said she's going to have a lot of problems he said lungs are the last thing to develop so she's going to have really bad lungs they're not going to be developed she might she'll probably be blind because her eyes haven't fully developed and so, um, you know, she we, we went through labor just like a regular baby, knowing that our little girl wasn't going to live. And, well, that was hard. That was hard. It just took it out of me. And I blamed myself. I said, you know, if I hadn't been so pig-headed and, and full of myself and decided, hey, let's let's go to Indianapolis, you know, to this art market, you know, just thinking about myself, even though, you know, we went to the doctor and she got checked out. I thought I should have just said, let's wait till next year. But I didn't. I was just thinking to myself. And when that little girl passed, when Annabelle, we named her Annabelle, when she passed, uh, I was holding her in my hands and, you know, I spent the most intimate time of all with my children, I was holding my own baby. when she passed when she walked on. And I felt responsible for that. And when I walked outside that morning, I felt the wind blow across me. And I, I knew that was her. Uh, so we gave her the name Old Dolly, which is wind in Muscovia. Yeah, every time I said, whenever I feel that wind, I know that's her and she's with me. Mm-hmm. And I felt so bad about that. I quit painting. I couldn't paint anymore. It left me. It It, it, it went away. And so I didn't paint. Um, so about 2008, I decided I was going to paint again. And this is from 2000. So it was about eight years eight later. Eight years? Eight years. I didn't paint. I didn't do any art at all. It just, it went away. I just felt so bad. And, uh, I started, I was, uh, feeling the urge to do art again. And I got out some paint, started messing around with painting. Darned this thing, I had a 19-year-old daughter. She was Cheyenne uh, with an old girlfriend. She lived over in Geary, Oklahoma. I um, found out that uh, I guess she'd gotten into a fight with her boyfriend. They would broke up or whatever, and something happened, but she, she hung herself. And, uh, like, man, I said, I've lost two children. I said, every time I touch that paintbrush... You know, and here's another one was kind of just thinking of, about myself, and this kind of, you know, I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's me that's causing this, you know. Maybe it's me that's causing these bad things to happen. I've done something wrong. I've not done something right, you know. I've upset things. You know? hmm. And so I quit painting again. I said, this is it. And I just was living my life and working. Um, but 2014. I went to the Eagle Day event here in Tulsa. And I had a friend who was, who since walked on, Shan Gorgian, and she was a Cherokee artist who had been a big supporter of my work through the years. Um, she was there at that event. And I always knew whenever I saw her, good things were going to happen. Cause she was just that kind of feeling, that good spirit feeling, you know, person. And the, iowa tribe had that eagle rehabilitation program they had a couple eagles there they had uh, rb and woody were their two eagles that they had there and they were explaining during this uh, program that these eagles were um no longer to be out in in the wild anymore because they've had injuries so they have to stay there with the rehabilitation program but they still do things with them because they're still eagles and they still have these knees and these you know, instincts and do things that eagles do. And I'm sitting there looking at those birds, and it's like those birds looked at me. And I always to them as like these sacred friends. It's like they said, Look at us. The creator come down and said, Look at us. We're eagles. The creator made us the eagles, and he gave us these gifts to do these things, but now we've been hurt. And so we can't do these things without the help and support and love of people around us who still give us this ability to, to be who he made us and then uh, I thought about that on myself and then I saw and that's when I saw Shan there and that was like a big supporter of my art and so he came back to me and said he gave me this gift and I need to use this gift or he'll take it away um, I need to be doing this art and then here was Shan a big supporter of my artwork at the same time so I got like this double message that I need to be doing the art. So I, I started, uh, I got my art, my paint stuff back, and I started painting. It was like I never left it, and I felt better, you know, and I felt stronger. And I thought, well, this is this is what, one of those things I said, you know, bad things happen, but it seems like it takes me to a certain path. Maybe those 14 years I didn't paint, I wasn't supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um I was learning other things, lessons in life. Uh, maybe getting more in touch with myself and people around me. Um, but it was uh, it was really important that you know that that happened. Um, so I got back in, get back to art, and shortly after that, I got. Um, from IA they were opening up a new building out there and they're having some kind of biannual show and they were wanting alumni to submit artwork for it to hang during this opening. And I thought, well, wow. you know, they reached out to me and I hadn't heard from anybody in years. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden they also wanted a piece of my work. So I sent I sent something out there and and it was, it was almost like all, all of a sudden after that, all of a sudden people started reaching out to me to find me to do art and then I started getting phone calls from like I was saying, people that um you know, what we were talking about earlier that had my artwork that got passed down through family members and stuff. And they were looking for me. And I, I think a lot of people thought I had died because i actually actually, another artist told me I've got people calling, um, uh, wanting appraisals of your work, because they think you're, you're gone because you stopped painting all of a sudden. You just disappeared. Mm. <laughs> they thought you had died. And, uh, I'd get phone calls from people who had, an older relative had bought a piece of mine and they'd passed away and then they, they tracked me down and now, you know, internet's out there now so they could find you on the internet and, um, they tracked me down through the tribe one person, they got my phone number and they called me and he was telling me about a piece that he had got from his father that he had bought years ago from me and I think he thought I was much older than what I was. Probably maybe the age of his father. Because the first thing he said to us, "Oh, I'm so glad I found you, and that you're still alive." <laughs> <laughs> but my 90 year old father, he <laughs> his, I think he thought I was I was an older guy too. But yeah, um, and then this one of those kind of things that you know I, I got this gift, and it's important, and I can do good things with it. You know, it's it's. I can touch people with it and I can put things out there and I need, it's a responsibility and I got this opportunity to send a message out there for people to see. And so that's why I always wanted to be honest betrayal of our people when they see it. They know who we are and it's not just some crazy stuff that other people put out there about us through the years you know that when they look at it they know what it is and that's why i really like it when uh, you know my my people look at it and they come up to me and they say i love that painting it reminds me of this and then i may not paint it to look like a specific person but they'll see it and they'll see that person in there it looks like so and so and it reminds me of this time and i i love how you portray our people that's important to me, you know, um, in in more ways than just a a personal thing, you know, where I get all excited about something Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, oh, I got excited then, um, (laughs) but yeah, I, um, it, well, it it just means a lot when people can see that and, and like I said, want to bring that into their, into their, their family and share it. Especially after being through the years of just being outcast by people, not not being chosen you know, as a kid for sports or not being able to get a date when I was in high school because the parents didn't want their kids going, you know, their daughters going out, mm. <laughs> and so now all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's just wild. And then, you know those crazy stories about the high school dating experience. I, I didn't touch on that, but I'd bring it up. I'd ask girls out, and then their parents would find out, and they're like, "Nope, you can't go out. You got stuff. You tell them you can't." You know, and so but, you know it just when you're a young man and you're trying to get confidence built up, you know, and, and the opposite sex, you think all of a sudden you're just horrible because they seem to be a, tra- you know, interested, and all of a sudden now they're not, mm-hmm. and you're like, what did I do? <laughs> you know? And so you yeah, know, it's just um confidence, you know, and you yeah, know, I just didn't have, a, I didn't have anybody to come up and and give me that confidence. And I hopefully, when I'm doing my artwork, the younger people will see it, get confidence, and think, oh, I want to do art. You know, and uh, maybe it's a mentorship like that, you know, younger people see it because that's when i I saw these the work that I first saw were done by the older guys, you know that are you know the, probably they're they're like the a c blue Eagle and woody Crumbo Dick West those older guys doing that artwork mm-hmm. um so yeah, you know hopefully you know inspire you know younger. Younger artist. Um, I like doing, uh, like I said, the comic book work. You always like that. And I recently got opportunities to do that that I never thought, you know, I would have that opportunity. Uh, I was used to the comic books when I was a kid. That's how I learned how to read, you know, before I went to school. Mm -hmm. Um, In the early, in the middle, late 60s. um, Kindergarten wasn't a you didn't have to go to kindergarten, it was like an optional thing, and I don't think a lot of the schools had kindergarten programs, I think you had to go to a church for the kindergarten, um, it wasn't mandatory like it is now, you went into first grade, um, uh, so mom didn't put me in the kindergarten, she kept me at home, and she taught me how to read using comic books, taught me how to write, you know, because I was used to letters being around anyway, with dad being a sign painter, so... Yeah, I learned how to read and write before I went to school. And it was comic books, you know, and so I always liked comic books growing up. And, uh, of course, that played out later on, years later. Um, Never thought I would ever have a chance to do comic book art. But in 2000, I think it was 15, um, Aragon Star, who had known for a while, you know, before she got in, before I knew she was doing the comic books, she was the this, this singer. You know, I knew her, I met her when I was at IA. Mm. That's how I met her. Uh, it was my introduction to computers. I never had a computer, never touched a computer anything. <laughs> in my earlier college career at Bacon stuff, we didn't have computers. You know, if we did a report, we either hand-reeled it or typed it on the typewriter. I get to Bacon, there's computers, you know. I was like, well, I've never seen a computer before. Um, so, um, I was introduced in the internet you know, I worked in the library there at IA. <laughs> that was my first job was, is, was working at the library there. <laughs> and so I had to learn how to use a computer. And so, um, the librarian there, um, introduced me to the internet and she said, Oh, I forgot what it was. Yahoo chat she goes oh y'all who, that was the big thing back then that was yeah. the best search engine i don't think there was no google at that time you know so i get on there and i i think i entered uh i i searched uh creek indians that's what the first thing oh, i thought oh, this is cool I, it up. and uh eric on Star, name popped up you know she was you know muskogee and uh uh had all this info about herself. So I clicked on their link, you know, and had a a contact thing. So I contacted her and said, you know, (laughs) I'm Greek too. (laughs) And so it started this conversation, emails back and forth, and we developed a friendship. Then we met in person, you know, and and the friendship grew from there. And so then years later, she was, every time she came to Tulsa, you know, perform or do something, I always went to see her, you know. And I saw she was over at the, One of the Tulsa libraries, and they had a little workshop going on on natives and comic books. And I thought, oh, that's so cool, because I just recently bought at Hobby Lobby a um, comic book art uh, paper, and I just bought it for myself. I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool to mess around with, you know. And um, so I was working on this little World War (laughs) One, you know, comic, you know. For my own personal, like I used to do years ago, my art just my own personal, Mm. (laughs) you know. And so uh, I went to that, you know, and Roy Boney was there, Uh, Lee Francis was there, Michael Shiaji was there, Uh, and I brought my little comic book work, you know, things. And so I showed it to Lee Francis when they were there, you know. He loved it, he loved my style of work. So he says, and he was talking to Eric on there, all looking at this, oh, we got to get you involved. Somehow, with, uh, with the, it was the uh, the the group of comic book artists. He was trying to get a you know comic native comic book it's more you know mm. artist group together and everything. And um, he said, "We we got to get you involved with this somehow." And so, I thought, oh yeah, I'd love that. And like about a year later, Aragon contacts me. because he "Hey, we were talking about this." Comic book we've been wanting to do uh, about the code talkers, and uh, and I was saying, oh, I'd love to do the World War I code talkers, you know, because <laughs> I always thought code talkers were cool. But you know, it's one of those kind of things where uh, the dominant society picks one f- part of our culture, and that's what they talk about. So you always heard about everybody knows about the Navajo code talkers, mm-hmm. you know, non natives. If they know anything about code talkers, it's always Navajo. That's all they knew. So that's basically all I knew. But then I found out, you know, World War One, there was code talkers with the Choctaw. And I was always interested in World War One. I. I had a grandfather, well, two grandfathers that were in the First World War. And I used to listen to uh, my grandpa's stories about the World War One and I thought it was more interesting my dad's stories of World War Two. You know. <laughs> so um I was always interested in World War One, so I wanted to do the Choctaw one, but it was already taken, you know. So I thought, well, oh, doggone it. I thought, it would be so cool if the Muscogee had co-talkers like the, like the Navajo and the Choctaw. Well, come to find out, they did. And, you know, it was one of those line things with the co-talkers. And um, when they did the con- congressional medals for them back, I think it was 2008, it was all of a sudden people found out that there were more natives that were co-talkers and these men never talked about it they were told not to talk about it and they didn't and so um i found out there were muskogee code talkers and so aragon you know when she approached me she says i'd like you to do the muskogee story of the muskogee code talkers for this comic book i said oh that's fantastic that's great we've got code talkers you know that is cool so, um, there's no information on them at all. There was none. As a matter of fact, when the, uh, I think when the Department of Defense or the, started to compile information on the Code Talkers, they didn't have anything other than names. So I think they actually had to go to the Muscogee Nations Veterans Association to find out who these men were and what they did. And I guess that's where we found out their names and, uh, where they were at and what, uh, you know, part of the the military they're with. They were with the Army. But they weren't sure. There were two of them that they came up with. um, Weren't sure exactly what they did, but they said one of them was obviously in the field and the other one was at the fire station and they talked back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, So there wasn't much... Info to go on from. So what I had to do was kind of like, since it was Tales of the Mighty Code Talkers, they were fictional stories based on real people. I actually had to make up my own story for this, how it how it came about. And I wasn't sure how their code was. So what I did was, in my story, was they were making up a code like the Navajo did where they used the language, but they coded the language mm-hmm. and spoke that. But I come to find out later that what they actually did was they spoke the language directly? They did It wasn't coded. They just spoke the language. And Muskogee's hard enough that no one that does it no, it's gonna know what's not, going to know what's being said. And so uh, I did that story, and I thought that's great. You know, and it got published, and it won an award. That that book uh, tells the mighty Code Talker won a uh, 2016 or 18. Well, came out 16, won 2018 American Library. American Indian Library Association uh, award for best middle school book. And, you know, there was nine other artists that were in there. Roy Boney was one of them. Uh, Aragon Starr. Uh, Michael Shiaji was in it. Um, but it, it was my first uh, comic book art. And that led to me a few years later, this recently coming out, uh, that uh, Chicago Indian School graphic novel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I was... Uh, they sought me out because they knew I'd done that. And so um, that's how I got that. So that was how I got into the comic book art. It's something I never thought I'd actually do. Um, it was just something I enjoyed on my own. You know? <laughs> and you play it played out that way. But it was wonderful because it was one of those kind of things where I got to tell uh, native stories. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know. A lot of non-Natives read it, but I know a lot of Natives were reading it, and, you know, I didn't have those kind of comic books growing up, so it was important to me. You know, I thought, this is great. You know, the younger kids are going to see, you know, this, that I didn't have that. You know, and maybe that'll give them some of the support and build some of that confidence. That, cause I, Like I said, you know, I was basing uh, the way I was treated because <laughs> they didn't have a good a grasp of who native people were the people I was around. You know, like yeah. I said, we were watching these buffoons play Indians on F Troop. And if you ever seen that old 60s show, mm-hmm. um, we were idiots. And we weren't even real Indians. We were, you know, people portraying Indians, but we were portrayed as less than, Yeah. Not very smart and just, you know, and so, it, 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 like I said, it, it seems like a kind of a responsibility when I do this work that I do now but it's it's a decent it's good and it's got a purpose
0: yeah confidence is key that's it takes a while though to yeah. like know you have it and then even trying to understand like exactly what it is like I mean you hear it and everything but it's like exactly how how do you use it i guess right yeah and i mean it's like you know i same thing same i mean but it's like everybody goes through their own ways of getting through everything you know like i wanted to play football but i kept getting hurt like i wanted i wanted to do something with like sports so i got an mma i kept getting hurt and then, you know, and then it just kind of led, it led me to what I'm doing now, you know, like I never thought I'd be talking to people cause we go back to school and everything. I I still thought about like, I'm not smart enough to talk to anybody, you know, like I haven't done anything. I'm not, I haven't, I'm not interesting enough for other people to come want to talk to me or anything. But, and once again, it's just like beating yourself down enough because that's basically like what you've been through. Like, and so, but you got to get over that. I mean, I I had to get over that and I just had to stop being afraid of being vulnerable and just do it. Yeah. And I mean, I talked to some students the first of this month, you know, shout out to Aaron Parker. Um, she invited me to come talk to some students, some high school students and to kind of show like there's really no, path like straight path you know like you kind of just have to find yourself and then understand like there's other ways there's other things like you just have to find yourself and I tried and the main thing is like from what I said is like no you you can't be afraid of who you are like you have to be yourself don't try to be anybody else be yourself and find something you want to do you know, because any, everybody's going to tell you this or that's right, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, but basically, it's like, what do you want to do, you know, if you, do you like art, you know, go, go in it, you know, bet on yourself, you know, Uh, you want to go to school, that's awesome, you know, get your master's, you know, go, go as high as you can with that stuff, whatever it is, you know, like, just, do it and give it like 110%, you know, and be confident with what you're doing. Like, don't worry about what anybody else is saying, just do it. And so, you know, that's, that's always like my biggest thing, you know, is overcoming like the being afraid of like what people are going to think or say, or like hate, you know, and there's gonna be people that love what you do, but you know, it's just like not, being around like this negative space and especially for yourself, like you cannot treat yourself that way. You can't like, I used to beat myself down all the time. Like I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I'm not anything like I'm never going to accomplish anything. And I used to say this stuff out loud, you know, and I used to think it really hard and where Where does that get you? It yeah. gets you deeper and deeper into that hole of that negativeness. And so, now it's like you can't do that, man, because everything you think of, everything you envision, everything you say is very powerful. And so you have to believe in yourself and you have to know like everything will be OK. And you have to know that your path is your path, man, like it's going to lead you to some crazy places and you're going to learn a lot, you know, and that's basically like you're learning how to be the person you're going to become and you're learning all these lessons, you're failing, you're it's, it's tough. Like it's, it's a really <laughs> tough time when you're going, but I mean, it's all experience and it helps you. It helps build, you know, the character you are, the person you are. And, and it's up to you, man. Like if you want to learn, if if you really truly like, Take these things and you analyze them and you you look at what it is like like what am I what's what's what what's what am I learning here like why did I why am I failing so bad or like why are things so tough right now and it's just like because I, I still go through stuff too but it's like you know I, I don't I don't think of the worse you know I'm just like okay well that happened but I have to move on. Yeah, I have to keep moving forward. I can't just like let me let me give it five minutes, be sad or mad or whatever. But man, I gotta, I gotta keep going, man. I can't stop because nothing stops for me. Like the world's not gonna oh Russ is sad. Let's let's stop. Yeah, everything just keeps continuing. And like you know like, and you have to find your way. You know like like with your story, man. Like you took fourteen years off. But it wasn't like you weren't doing anything. You were maneuvering, you know, and you like you're learning stuff as that time went on and you're still giving everything a lot of thought. But it was like everything came back into like probably the perfect moment. Like you you've you've seen these signs, you know, like from the person that you ran into the Eagles and you just kind of started, you know, thinking like, hey, you know, maybe it's about that time. Yeah. And then, I mean, you you started doing it again and didn't you, you didn't expect anything from it. You just started doing it. And then eventually, you know, people started remembering you and then I hit you up. And then, you know, all these things just started coming, you know, coming at you at probably the right time. You know, I don't I don't know, like maybe you would have gotten burnt out. You yeah. Know? You
1: know, I always wondered about that, you know. What would my art look like now if I can't continue during those fourteen years? Mm-hmm. You know, would it be, um, would it be played out by then? You know, everything I do is just kind of, you know, we've seen that before, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But you know, I stayed creative during that time, and uh, a lot of people don't know about this. But you know, I told you I was interested in World War One, mm-hmm. and during that time, I built oh in the hundreds. <laughs> Miniature dioramas from World War One, really different battle scenes throughout the theaters of the war. Oh, that's cool. Um, in one seventy-second scale, so the men are like one inch tall. You know, just hundreds of planes, Whoa. the old biplanes with all the rigging. I did all the rigging on it and the painting and everything. And I've got these uh, old display cases at the house that I put them, built them in these little plastic uh, display boxes that. You get for like model cars, mm-hmm. and I built them on that so the plastic would sit down on top of it to kind of protect it keep the dust off of it. And then of course you can stack those, click those cases up. So what I did was I built them and stack them up beside those uh, display cases, and so I, I, I stayed, you know, creative. Mm-hmm. I just didn't do my paintings. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I, that that creative spark in me was there. I had to constantly stay busy doing something with my hands and so that's what mm-hmm. i did but you know to go back to what you're saying you know the confidence thing when you're younger but when you get older i, I don't know the experiences you know the path that leads you you look back on some of that stuff you were you know lacked confidence or you, you think well oh, that's crazy there's no need to be that i shouldn't have been like that mm-hmm. you know and so i guess to the youth you know, you, we say to them, uh, you know, it may look bad now, but it'll get better. And it does. It's, you just got to go, like you said, you got to go to these past because that makes who you are. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the office, side, it's a long trip. You appreciate, you know, the trip you took and you can look back on it and going, and here's where I am now. And I had to do these things to get where I'm at now. Um, what kind of person would it be if I didn't go through those things? Yep. You know, i Kind of boring, I guess. More boring than what I am already. Um, and that's why you know, I, I look at my children. You know, I see some of the rough things they have, and I tell them, I said it'll get better. And I said, you know, when I was a kid, you know, the things that older people always tell you. When I was a kid, you know, they, they, they hate to hear that, but uh, it's true. And, you know, I look back on my life, and I, I think when I was younger, and my dad would tell me things, I would think. You don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's then. This is now, Dad. You yeah. know, I'm living in the... And then when I got older, and I looked back and I said, that man was a genius. You know, everything he said happened. I should have I listened to, you know, a little more. But I did gleam a lot of info off of him because I do realize a lot of things in my life. I always relate back to things he told me growing up. Things he showed me. Mm-hmm. One thing I do regret more than anything is I didn't pay more attention to him when he tried to teach me how to to do the hand lettering with the signs and stuff. Mm. Because now I see a lot of younger uh, people starting to do that. And people say, oh, your dad was a sign painter. That's so cool. Those guys were so cool. You know, that was awesome what they could do. And, you know, he he laid gold leaf and did all this stuff, but that's just what dad do, did. So I thought it was cool, but it wasn't that cool. You know, he wasn't like a, a superhero, but he was. To me, he was my superhero, but he wasn't. He was dad, you know. So when he tried to teach me at the age of seven, that's when he said he learned kind of apprenticing with a, a a man in Okemo, Oklahoma, where we were from, um, to, to paint, to letter signs. There was a sign painter there in town. Um. That's where he learned it. And of course, he told me back then when I was little, you know, you make a lot of money doing signs, you know, painting signs. Everybody needs signs. Everybody, you know. And that was true to a point um, because you could make money back then signs. People wanted signs. They needed signs. The, the, the rough part was getting people to pay for those signs once they got them. <laughs> so I remember he used to have to go out and collect money a lot of times for people that had signs that just didn't pay him for it. Um, but... You know, he'd always tell me that and of course mom would always come on, oh, you don't wanna do that because it's hard to get money out of these people. They don't want to pay you and everything. So that kinda of made me think, Oh, I don't want to be a sign painter, maybe, you uh, know. Too it kind of worried me. But looking back on it now, I wish I wish I would have sat down with him more and learned how to pull the brush the way he did and just he made it look so easy. People would call him easy money. He'd sit down <laughs> on he'd hand letter a door on a truck. He'd sit down and he'd have one of those old coat crates, you know, the wooden coat crates like you oh, see yeah. in the. Uh-huh. That's, he always carried one of those around. That's what he'd sit on and set him up about the right height. And he'd, he'd had a mall stick, which was just a stick with a rubber ball in it that you used to to balance your arm. And that rubber ball, you could move it around like that. Oops. <laughs> you can move it around like that while you're lettering. He'd have a old. Mom would always sell, save uh, the cans from vegetables and stuff. And that's what he'd pour his paint in, mix and stuff. He'd have that in one hand, that paintbrush, and that mall stick. Somehow he had he it. He could hold on to that. And he was just, he was so fluid with how he would let her. He wouldn't even, he wouldn't even lay it out a lot of times. He would just start painting. And he became known for the, his ability to, Lay out those letters and the fonts and everything, perfectly spaced out. You know, and when you looked at it, it it was it was almost like it was printed, like you know how they print things out now. Yeah. He was that good. He was a craftsman, and uh, he was well known amongst sign painters. That actually, other sign companies would want him to come and letter for him for them because they didn't have sign painters of that quality. And so uh, that's why he was able to get these jobs and move around a lot like that, because he had a uh, something that was needed, then But you know, when he got older, he couldn't do it anymore. Um, and then, of course, about the time he retired in the early '80s is when they started getting these uh, plotters and stuff that would cut out vinyl lettering, and mm-hmm. so your hand lettered signs were pretty much going away, you know so he was at the end of uh, end of an era. Kind of like I was when I wanted to be an animator when cinema animation was slowly getting phased out. Computers were, you know, mm. computer animation was, you know, the next big thing. But, yeah, he just, uh, that's one of those things, you know, if I wish I would listened to, paid more attention, picked up that inf- information now because uh, he he was just phenomenal. I wish I, I could go back and, and, and just film him. Mm. what he did and just talk to him and sit him down like we're doing now and just talk to him about what he was doing with that art and his stories and uh, because you know growing up and i watched i watched this video on on sign painters and they talked a bunch of old sign painter guys you know through, and Watching that, it just brought back memories of my dad and some of the sceneries with the paint cans and the, the one-shot cans, and there's a brand of paint everywhere. <laughs> it just reminded me of growing up. And uh, some of the way these guys were and stuff, it reminded me of Dad and some of these sign painters that would show up out of nowhere, like uh, they were traveling from town to town looking for work, and they found out about Dad, so they'd show up at the house and you know want to know if, they had it, if he had any work for them. So he he would take them out and he would help him do these billboards because, you know, it, me and Mom would help him a lot. What he would do, he would, since the lettering were so big, he would do the outline of them and then we'd go in and fill them in. Fill in the rest mm. of the, the letters on it and stuff for him. Mm. So um, he could streamline the, you know, kind of like a... Uh, um, assembly line kind of a thing oh, with yeah. the signs you know he'd outline the big letters and we'd come in and fill them in you know? and but uh some of those characters come in those sign painters they were just it was almost like it reminds me of rock musicians you know <laughs> some of the musicians and stuff they were just some characters you know just crazy screwball guys some of them, you know? <laughs> and and mom mom said it's because from all the paint fumes as well <laughs> <All> the- <laughs> All the fumes. <laughs> All the fumes. Which was reminds me, of Daddy, he was one of those kind of guys, old school guy. He would smell something, tell you what's in it. If it was a retarder or a thinner or whatever, you know, and he'd smell, it. yeah, that's that's so and so. You don't want to use that for that because that won't work on this kind of paint. Or he'll smell, it. oh, this is that kind of paint. You know, it's an enamel or it's a it's a lacquer based or this. And then and he would spray things, you know, uh, billboard stuff with a never wear a respirator or anything like that. So he'd come in the house and he'd be like dusted with paint Whoa. and, you know, his glasses or, and he'd clean his glasses and he'd wipe the paint out of his nostrils, you know, and stuff. And he was just covered in paint. And he ended up, he eventually, he ended up with lung cancer and brain cancer. But that's, Whoa. you know, from the years of just all those chemicals and stuff, you know, God, doing mean, but like I said, he was a, hardcore old-school sign painter mm-hmm. you know he knew all, all kinds of stuff about electrical things because he did a lot of uh, you know electric work with transformers and stuff for neon building signs that moved and everything and so he was almost like an engineer so he had all these little things and he was he was self-taught and a lot of those old sign painters they self-taught you know they learned these things they learn these new tricks that they could do for these for their business because there wasn't a, like a a sign painting school that you could take classes and go to so much you know you apprenticed with somebody which is what he wanted me to do with him when I was younger but uh, damn yeah I mean it was it was it was a cool lifestyle growing up I mean yeah. I was very fortunate just I had a I've had a very good life I've had a very good life and you know like I said even the bad things was just Part of the trip, yeah, They're pointing me in the direction, you know. And so, I've, I've had a really good life and I'm really, really happy, and <laughs> really thankful, you know, that the uh, things that put me in the path and, and the and to meet people, certain you know, people that come into my life are just it's it's re- it's a good life, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <You know? laughs> I was gonna say too, like, uh, like my dad's like the same way, he's 84. And But self-taught in a lot of stuff. And it's crazy to think, like, they were, like, self-taught where, as me, i think of myself, like, I could just go to YouTube.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: could go to YouTube and learn, like, whatever I need to learn, you know, like, and it's like, you know, they were probably shown once or twice. And it was like, all right, <laughs> you yeah. know, here, 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 try it. <laughs> yeah and it's just like you know <laughs> just repeat and do it more and more and then it's like you know me i could just like rewind it how, how'd that go you know and rewind it and you know look at the information i need or google something or you uh, know like yeah. just like in how information has changed so much like
1: uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's uh I actually, every now and then, I'll get on YouTube and I'll look up sign painting just to watch some of them guys, you know, showing it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, man. <laughs> I'm, <you know. laughs>
0: Do they have like any old footage, like from back then, too?
1: Yeah, you can find some stuff on really? there. And the one, the, the uh, documentary I saw was, I think, called Sign Painters. And it was came out a few years ago. Um, and it was just a documentary that he, was, I guess, he was trying to catch these old guys before they're gone. You know, mm. uh, my dad would have been 95 if he was still alive. He'd been, no, he'd been 98 this year. He'd been 98. Mom would have been 95. Yeah, he'd have been 98. So uh, these guys were, a lot of them were probably in their 70s when this was made. So they were younger than he was. So he They were probably the age of guys that he would be teaching. You know? mm. And now they're showing these younger people how to do it. Um, I can't think of the guy's name that did that, but I think if you Google it, sign painter, <laughs> sign painter, it'll come up. Uh, can't think of the name. It's on, it's on, uh, not YouTube, the other, uh, streaming for videos. Um, Amazon. No, uh, Hulu? uh Vimeo, v- oh Vimeo, Vimeo, It's okay. On Vimeo, or at least the trailer is. Every now and then they'll have it where you can watch the whole movie on Vimeo. But hmm. it's it's really interesting. I mean, if you if, if you want to know about them old sign painters, or but they they had some old footage of the old sign painters. You know, with their trucks, with their ladders, and you know. <laughs> paint all over everything. <laughs> i always thought that was cool dad dad come in with paint all over his clothes you know and his, you know spots of paint and out in the garage there was colors you know everywhere just like because <laughs> he's like in my studio you know you get paint everywhere but you don't care because you're working mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah i mean I, I i see that kind of thing it just brings back a lot of memories you know um and I was telling my and my wife and my, and our youngest, uh, they're twenty. And the uh, the other day I told my, and it just hit me all of a sudden. I uh, I miss my parents. Uh, all of a sudden I just I missed them because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen them in a long time, and I really missed them. And and I tried to tell my youngest and I, I, not to make them feel bad, but I am getting older, and I won't be around much longer. So I tell them I said, when I tell you these things, you, know, <laughs> you probably need to lose them because i old dad ain't going to be around <laughs> forever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the older I get, you know, I've got grandchildren and everything now. and You know, so I'm, I'm thinking back on that. I said, wow, I'm, I'm at that point now. Um, or um, I'm the older guy now, you know. I'm not the young kid anymore. Um, And I think that's also, you know, with the confidence in it, well, I'm at that part now where the confidence is there, and that's why I try to impress on the youngest. No, and I know they're doing me like I did my dad. Oh, dad, you don't know. You know. <laughs> and and a few years from now, you know, when he's my age, it was a guy. was a genius. Yeah, right. <laughs> when I tell him, I say, you know, Yeah, I, I tell him, you know, don't sweat the small stuff because it'll get better. It just it's just a, a mere inconvenience now. Learn what you need from it. and Go on. Don't let it define you. Don't let it break you down. Don't let it drag you down. Um. Just say whoops and learn from it. Go on. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I guess it just takes age and maturity and experiences to get you past that point. But you know, you, when you think things couldn't get any worse, <laughs> you know, then you find out they weren't that bad when you no. look back on some of it. You know, uh, it's it all. It's all what you make it and. Uh, especially, you know, when you get support, that's real important, you know, support. And uh, I, I didn't, these things that happened to me as a kid, I never, I never talked to my parents about it, things that I suffered in school and stuff, because I didn't want them to dislike me too, because these other people didn't, so I kept it to myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling mom and dad, because they won't like me either, and they're the only people that seem to like me, <laughs> and I don't want to really lose them too, because I'm such <laughs> a horrible person. And that wasn't the case, you know. Just, um, and you know, through the years, going back into some of these people from the time period back then, as adults now, um, some of them have changed. That attitude is not the same. Um, that part of the country, that part of the state, there, that they, you know, it's Walmart has brought in diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different people there now that. Weren't there in that town before that stuff. Some of that mindset hasn't gone away because I've still run into people who I knew back then who still have that same, you know, mm. attitude and stuff. But uh, it, it has gotten better, and I, um, as I tell my kids, I said, uh, "Things do get better." You know, you just got to. <laughs> they're kind of surprised at some of the things that happen now. Then I said, oh, that's, it's not as bad as when I was. <laughs> you know, they see things, but they're not used to it. And dad, why do you let someone talk to you like I do it to you? And uh and, and I honestly, I don't even notice it sometimes. My wife will notice it. Mm-hmm. And I've had it happen so often that I, I don't respond to it. You know, I just, <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Um, some of the ways some people feel like they can talk to us, you know. Yeah you know it's, they're just fine with it and you shouldn't have a problem with it and when you do they're like I don't know why you're upset mm-hmm. I know I'm, I'm years ago i get pulled over by the police driving at night just driving at night and they'd always pull me over they re- they recognized my car they'd pull me over and it was always usually it was the same cop no there in Springdale first thing he said say to me and he'd always refer to me as Geronimo or Chief mm. That kind of stuff, you know, and I'm like, why do you talk to me like that? Yeah. First thing, I, you been drinking? No. <laughs> yeah, and just uh, crazy stuff like that, you know. I was hoping my children wouldn't put up with when I had to when I got older. And, and it's a little better now. There's, it's still out there. Yeah. And so when it does rear its head, they're kind of shocked, but it's not a everyday occurrence like it was for me growing up so oh it's another thing i'm thankful of course my youngest is 20 will be 21 my oldest is 38 so my children aren't so much children anymore they're adults now but they'll always be my children but you know i got grandkids you know coming up but you know i just that's one it's another thing we go talk about things like reservation dogs and things like this that are happening now that we didn't have as kids growing up that They've got that now. It's yeah. there for them. And so it's, it's, it's wonderful to see these opportunities and things. Um, and, you know, it's wonderful to do our small part, you know, for these kids to see these things, you know, and that's what I hope my art does. Mm-hmm. Um, they're inspired by it. Like I was inspired when I saw the art for the first time, when I could actually see after getting my glasses. And it sent me on this path, uh, you know, to do these things and um I hope that they see my art and it inspires them. You know, maybe they're feeling bad or they're feeling rugged. Uh they'll see that and they'll say, Yeah, I wanna do that too. And they and they pick it up and they do it and they find their path, you know, Mm -hmm. and it brings them happiness like it did me. You know, and that's just one way of another way of touch somebody with what I do. I had no idea that I did it, but it's, you know, or if it even happens, you know, (laughs) but I I can't stop doing the art. It's just in me and I I put it out there and I'm I'm always surprised and glad when people do enjoy it and appreciate it. And, uh, it makes me feel really good. I've I've done something good. After feeling all the years of feeling like I was a, a horrible person that could do no good. Yeah. And, uh, Yes, it's a good feeling. <laughs> I know I strayed off our subject that we started talking about it originally with Bigfoot and everything. But <laughs> I know you don't want to be up all night, but I'm one of them kind of guys when I start talking, I can't shut up. You know? And uh, cause, uh, I saw Bigfoot. <laughs> I saw Bigfoot back in Hominy, Oklahoma in 76 when I was with my dad. But Whoa. Uh, Should I save that for another podcast? Or should I? <laughs> yes.
0: I want to hear that.
1: It is a great story. Yeah. Know. I mean, it's just, I think that was one of the things that that has drawn me to, you know, Bigfoot. And then doing him in my heart every now and then, you know. Um, it's another one of those connections. is a spiritual thing, you know. It's he's, he's the feeling that I got mm-hmm. when I saw him, you know. Whoa. It was it was like with those eagles and things. The way they come to me, I guess it affects, it affects Native people maybe, mm-hmm. from the way we're we're raised up and our beliefs and stuff, compared to other people. Even like, because he's real, you know, he's not just like a story. Yeah, you know.
0: Even if you don't know too much about it, like, it's still powerful, right? Like, you just kind of get this feeling about it, and it's like, you don't know what it is, but you feel something like within you to do something about it yeah like I mean I don't know like uh, because I grew up not really knowing about our culture or really anything but whenever I would hear about it from like uncles or aunts or whatever I would get a sense of like like it's powerful stuff man like those are old stories and i wish i could remember them you know but as a kid you don't really you don't know like you think like because i didn't really know what death was until my grandma died so i just figured oh they'd be around forever you know oh, yeah it's just yeah. immortality but you figure out what death is and then you don't really understand like what that is and really entirely it's just like they're gone now yeah that's what and they're mean. not coming back yeah And then it's like, it's like, dang, you know, and then, but now, you know, like I work with our language program, um, and we, we talk about this in our meetings after the classes, sometimes, you know, it's like, had we known we had like a few, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, when they know the language fluent speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Had we known we had a few back in the nineties, like late nineties, I think the last one died like in the mid-90s or something like that, like, could have recorded them, you know, could have, you know, helped out the tribe, but I was like, dang, man, but we can't, you know, we didn't know, you know, we were just like kids trying to find our way and everything, you know, and, and it's like a responsibility, you know, I find it like responsibility to keep this stuff going, you know, like I, I didn't really care about it, but now like, I feel like I, you know, like I have to, because like that's who we are. You know, that's that's what our ancestors were moved down here for. You know, like that's what they, that's what was taken away. You know, and beaten out of them and everything. And you know, it's a crazy, sad history that you know they should. not All of us had never had to go through. You know, our people, our ancestors back then. You know, they should never had have to have gone through that. But you know, like now, you know, like it's interesting to me and it's just something like i want to help even if it's like a little bit you know like help try to preserve this stuff you know our language and everything and help with classes and whatever i can man i mean so but it's powerful man like you know i sit in classes and i'm learning the language and i'm still trying to process it because i'm english i'm an english speaker first yeah so it's like it's still kind of rough because like I know, like our alphabet, I know our consonants, I know all that. But still, you know, like your mind still wants to say say these different letters the way you were taught in school and everything. And it's tough. Like it's just tough for my mind to still try to wrap around because once a week we're in class, and then the rest of the time throughout the week we're out here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and we're yeah. out here in this world, you know, and everybody speaks English and you know, and you, and I don't have anyone to like kind of talk to in Pawnee or whatever. And so, but, you know, when we're in class for two hours, you know, that's my time. And then once again, like I'm out here just speaking English. So it's tough to move from here to there, you know, to to just, to just const, constantly, like, you know, maybe if we had three classes a week, you know, i would probably, but I mean, I'm so I I'm everywhere, man. Like I got I got to go everywhere my mind's everywhere too, so but man it's a but yeah, it's powerful, dude. Like you know, just these signs and everything. Like I see I see some eagles too and I'm like, I'm probably going the right way or something," you know? Even pictures like they just <laughs> pop up on my feed. I'm like, "There it is. It's my sign. Just keep moving, man. Just keep going." <laughs> It's tough now, but keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, it's just like, I don't know. You just, like we said, man, you got to just keep on going. Keep uh, keep on keeping on, I guess. You yeah. Know? I mean, yeah, it's hard. I'll... It's it's really tough, but.
1: Can't give up. Nope. Yeah, you know, our ancestors didn't give up. Nope. You know, I mean, if they. If they gave up, we wouldn't be right now. Shoot, I know. But yeah, you just got to keep on. And, you know, we get a lot of strength thinking about our ancestors, what they went through to get us to where we're at right now. If they hadn't have done what they did, we'd have been gone. We'd been gone. You know, that was the plan. That was the main plan was to get rid of us. Yep. And uh, we're here. We're mm-hmm. still here. <laughs> you know, yep. They can't get rid of us. And, uh, you know, we got that strength in us. And, uh, you know, I fall back on that a lot of times, you know, and I think things can get any worse. But I, I, I've I got this feeling like a higher, there's a higher being that's looking out after me that, that you know, when something happens, he'll send me something, send me a direction. Mm. You know, those eagles, he sent those eagles. Yeah. You know, he sends things to me. And so and I can't ignore it, you know, when it comes to, you know, like uh, uh, the poor eyesight, you know. He just he, I, I ended up where I did in that town, probably. We moved there <laughs> simply so I could probably see those pictures. Mm-hmm. I, I put up with what I did so when I saw them, I would feel more about them, um, a sense of uh, belonging and being, and this, this is us. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're not bad people. These aren't bad things. I like this. Um
0: One to think about that too. It's like the most random place, right? Yeah. And yeah. And they were there. Yeah. And, and it was after you could fully see. You yeah. Know?
1: Cause no one ever said anything, oh, he's got all these Indian yeah. stuff in there. You know, there's no mention of arrowheads, which I wasn't interested in the arrowheads. And he probably just collect them because they were Indian, mm-hmm. you know, but the artworks what he got and I wish I knew who he had um what these pieces were, but I know they were the flat style. And I'm pretty sure being a doctor, an eye doctor, and he was a pretty prominent guy in the area, mm-hmm. um, he was buying the good pieces. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because he had the money to buy the good pieces. <laughs> and so he was probably buying um the our old masters, you know, because he could he could afford them. Yeah. You know. And that's why uh you know, going back to the art thing, um, most of our art is owned by non natives. And that's why I like doing my art and keeping the prices low and, and doing prints. I do a lot of prints in my work and keeping the size small and the prices small so our people can afford it. So we can keep our stuff in our families, you mm-hmm. know, and stuff. Because a lot of our stuff goes out to other people. And, and I really like it to kind of, that's good too. But I kind of like to keep it home. You know what I mean, (laughs) within our people. Yeah, Um, because I know that's where it's appreciated the most. Um, They they appreciate it even beyond technique and all these things that Western art is uh, judged by. Uh, They we may judge it by that as well, the way it's done. But we judge it by what it's about and how it's done, where that comes from, and I think that's just as important. Uh, when we create our art, that, you know, where it comes from, mm-hmm. you know, um, I guess I get that uh, superior sense of being, being Native, that our heart's is very important because of where it comes from. Um, I don't know where other people's art comes from, you know, non-Native, because I'm not them. So I'm sure it's just as, and I'm sure it is, um, from the heart. Mm-hmm. But I know where mine come from for sure, and so when I do something that I feel really good about, and someone else sees it, who's native, and they get that same feeling, you know, that that's a that's a good feeling. That's a real good feeling. Um, it seems like everything I've learned and have done through my life has has paid off. It, it's 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 going the right path. I don't feel I don't feel wrong or bad. Um, like so many things I used to do when I was just existing you know feeling bad about myself Mm -hmm. Um, because the way other people acted or something art is uh, art's been really important to me you know in so many ways and so that's why I said it's a precious gift to me and that's why I, I needed to use that gift I didn't want to lose it and I thought if I don't lose it use it the creator is one thing he's not appreciative of what this gift i gave him so i'm just going to take it from him. he mm-hmm. doesn't he doesn't deserve it and uh like i said i i don't think i'm the the best artist out there or anything but i'm i'm really happy with what i do and i'm glad when people like it that's what's important to me like i said you know i'm, I'm not interested in winning an awards it's always nice when you do it's another um um, thing that says, "Oh, you've done good work," but it's more important when people come up to me and say, I "Really love this piece," you know. It speaks to me; it means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. That that's a, it's more personal that way, you know. Yeah, to me, that's it's going to go a lot further, you know, because I know, um, if this person acquires the original or print, that it's going to be carried on. It's going to go on. Um, they'll have it. Some family member will see it. They'll love that person, and there'll be something that maybe they'll see it. It'll remind them that person they'll want it. You know, when they've passed on, it'll get passed on to them, and it'll just carry on. And then it also carries on our life ways people can see. And it's just that how things keep continuously going on. You know, like I said, it'll be around a lot longer than I am. So that's why I want to do it good and proper now. So, hundred years from now, people look at it two hundred years, and say, "Man, these these are these people, and and we'll probably still be doing those same things." And they'll look at it and say, well, "We're still doing these things today. These dances, these songs, you know, everything's it's the same as it was back when our ancestors did it." Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, they'll see that and they'll like that, and they won't even think about me. They won't even know who I am or anything about me. They'll see that image though. And that's important. That's what I'm that's what I want. They may never even know who I was other than, you know, seeing that last name and saying, Deacon? Is that <laughs> is it, <it's> Deacon. <laughs> Diacon. I don't know how you say it, but I really <laughs> Deacon. Deacon <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know I didn't get an easy name. <laughs> It looks cool, though, when it's spelled out, you know. Yeah. Someone told me, that, oh, when you see it on the thing, it's a cool-looking name. <laughs> if I was good in sports, it'd look good on the back of a jersey. <laughs> Still mispronounced, but it looks cool.
0: Here comes Deacon, Deacon for the Deacon. touchdown.
1: <laughs> Strutting in. A couple years ago, I was at a, a trailer to show. And uh, they called out my name for winning a prize there. And, of course, I didn't think I'd won. You know, I go to these shows, I never think, oh, I'm waiting you know, on the edge of my seat for them to call my name to win. So I'm just sitting there, and they called my name. Well, the guy said it. He said Deacon, Johnny Deacon. So I was sitting there. All of a sudden, um, my ex-wife, she goes, I think they're, I think that's you. <laughs> and he said the name of the painting. I said, oh, that is me. That is me. That's my name. <laughs> and I had a friend that was there, old Dan Horse Chief. I went to school with him at Bay Cone. He, he was over there. He's the Deacon. The Deacon. <laughs> he started yelling, the Deacon, the, Deacon. <laughs> the Deacon. The Deacon. The Deacon. The Deacon.
0: The
1: Deacon. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that name. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny, you know, there's Chabon Dacon, who's, who's, whose name's D-A-C-O-N. Mm. And he, he's Muskogee, and he's Laplaco, too. And uh, so people always ask me if I'm related, and I said, no. I said, I got my name from a Cherokee man. <laughs> he got it from the French, but he said it was some French names. So I don't huh. know where that came from. But, yeah, we I used to do shows in the 80s uh, with Chabon, and uh, everybody would say, oh, was that, you know, it was funny, because being Muskogee and younger, everybody always called me Jabon, which means boy. And so there was a family members called me Jabon. You know, Jabon I mean, Jabon Dicon and Some and some people actually thought we were the same person or we related. And I said, no, 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 I know him, you know <laughs> and I've done some shows with him, but I said, No, he's he's much older than I am. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: You're, you're the deacon.
1: That's, That's the no. deacon. Yeah, he's deacon. I'm deacon. I'm the deacon. <laughs> the deacon.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, two hours and 15 minutes. Wow. It's crazy.
1: That's two hours and 15 like minutes. It feels like we just started. You'll never get back. <laughs>
0: feels like we just started.
1: I know. Like I said, I, I, I jabber. And in in my wife thinks it because it's someone else other than her that i jabbering <laughs> to, especially when she's trying to watch TV and all of a sudden I'm over here just jabbering. <laughs>
0: oh, no, it was good, man. I loved the story. Um, I loved everything you had to say, and it's really inspiring, you know, to to hear what people, you know, they what they go through and how they overcome a lot of obstacles, you know, that are put in front of them and. And I love hearing like why they started doing it, started doing something or, you know, what was the reason for it? you yeah. know Why they keep going and how important it is. And I mean, it's just like a lot of areas, you know, that are hit and I loved it, man. And I enjoy, I enjoy the art and I'm looking forward to seeing you Saturday.
1: Um, I'm looking forward to it,
0: man. It's going to be awesome.
1: I, I love seeing everybody else's artwork there. Yeah. You know? I, I love going to these things cause I love looking at everybody's artwork. Um, that's inspiring, too, the mm-hmm. look at the artwork, because I know where it's coming from. I know what goes through these people, and I know the passion that goes into these. And so when you get into like-minded, like-spirited people doing their work, mm-hmm. it's, it's nice. It's nice. That's what I loved about art school. It's a group of people that had this same passion and oh yeah, just the energy. It's just amazing. And it, I just love these things, because... You get to see in artists, you know, me some of the guys I went to school with are friends. I've known them for years, so it's like a getting together with your buddies, you know. <laughs> Everybody you just see and and then you meet new people that have the same interest, it's it's just it's 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 my place. It's yeah. my place. <laughs> These are my people. You know? <laughs> Hang out with me. For know? real. For real, <laughs> yeah, and look at their stuff and just look at it and amaze it. So yeah, any everybody come because it's free. It's free. and open yeah. to the public, and it's it's a great it's a great place. Go to the casino, win a lot of money, come up buy a lot of for art, real, you know? hit that <laughs> jackpot,
0: and come on up and come spend on your money. <laughs> Support your artists, man. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: <laughs> hit, hit two jackpots. We're not we're not putting a limit on jackpots. Go down oh. there and hit as many as you can. Yeah, and
1: then come and buy a jackpot and, and buy from each artist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And, and Russell. I want to thank you for this opportunity because I listen to your podcasts and and, I, and enjoy them all. And you know, like I said, it's like the comic book thing. I never thought I'd be doing. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> another another uh, milestone or honor or just. It's nice that someone wants to hear what I have to say. <laughs> no I'm told to be quiet because they're trying to watch TV. <laughs>
0: Oh, no, it was awesome, man. And you're welcome back anytime. We'll we'll have to come back on and uh just talk, man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed oh, yeah. it. I, I mean, enjoyed I, it.
1: I got stories, Bigfoot stories and just crazy yeah. life stories. Just you know, I'm old enough, I got stories now. That's I always awesome. worried about that when I was younger. I wouldn't have interesting stories like I'd listen to the older guys talk about stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. they went to war and they did all this and they had nothing. I, I got no stories. You know? <laughs> now I got, I've got stories. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're as interesting, but I've got a story. <laughs>
0: yeah, I have to hear those in the daytime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely interested in those. Um, but. Let everybody know, you know, I guess, like, the booth you'll be at. Um, I'm not too sure how markets go, like the lingos. And then, like, uh, where to follow you and, you know, where to find your art, everything after the market. You know, and even if there's events after the market you're going to be at, too, you know. Yeah,
1: um, I'll be in booth 105 up there. Uh, and our youngest will be there also. This will be his third uh, – their their third uh, – Solo booth. Ooh. They had one at ScuzzCon and then in Digipop. So they'll be there. They're in booth 134. Miko Dicon and they do pen and ink work. They're self uh, self-taught artists, and so they're new at doing this work. Um, they'll be there. Um, yeah, and my work. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Um, Twitter, you know, during the pandemic, when all the art markets and everything shut down, I thought, I don't have an internet presence mm. and, uh, I need to, I need to get on there and make a, you know, cause I didn't have a website or anything. So I got on, you know, all these things like Instagram, I even got a TikTok page Nice. and most of it's Johnny Dyke on art and the TikTok page. All it is, is my watercolor paintings, um, just still photos Go into the next as 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 I progress, doing the pieces and the final pieces. <laughs> I did a few of those just just to get an internet presence, and uh, yeah. So you, you just put Johnny Dyke on art. You can Google that, and it'll pop up all the info on there. I guess I'm Indian famous. Now because nice. I, I got <laughs> I got like um, not a web page, but I got I guess I got an internet following. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and a few years ago, I didn't even know what the internet was. <laughs>
0: I know it's still so new. You got a YouTube channel too.
1: You know I do. <laughs> oh, he does. <laughs> but mainly, I just uh, I collect uh, other videos onto my not onto my YouTube channel thing, but on my library, I guess it is. I do have a couple of things I did ah. um, for OSU, and what well, of that Cherokee art mark is on one of them that's on there that I saved, but. Okay. Nothing I've produced except for one during Standing Rock. I made with our youngest, you know, we're supporting Standing Rock. I posted that on there, but it's, it's somewhere, in <laughs> somewhere in YouTube.
0: Somewhere in YouTube. Somewhere in YouTube.
1: The YouTube. <laughs> I gotta show my age. The YouTube. <laughs> you know, you kids. You, you.
0: The YouTube has it somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where it is. No title or nothing. Yeah, Yeah. Nothing <laughs> no description. Johnny Dykon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, everybody go follow him, check him out Saturday, well, uh, booth 105. It's a two-day thing, right? Uh Yeah, yeah. Saturday, Saturday and Sunday. Sunday. Okay. Yeah,
1: 10, to, 10 to 5 each day.
0: I, I knew I knew it was. I just want to make sure. So And it's free. Free. Free art market. Go check out everybody there. 80 artists are going to be there. Johnny will be there, booth 105. Let him know you heard the podcast. He might have another lighting effect going on. <laughs> In his booth somewhere, we'll yeah. we'll see. I don't know, but uh, looking forward to be seeing you over there and hanging out and just uh, seeing everybody else, man. You know, like it's so inspiring to see everybody out there doing our thing. And um, but yeah, thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate your time. And let me know when you want to come on again. We'll just chit chat about the old Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. But. Hmm. Yeah. Saturday, Sunday, April 22nd, April 23rd, Muskogee Art Market. Also, after the Art Market, uh, there's a free comedy show. Jordan J.I., Brent Dio, Zebediah No Fire, and Keelan Bear Paul will be uh, doing some comedy hosted by me, yours truly. So come on out. It starts at 7 p.m., April 22nd. So. Go eat, play some games real quick, and come back up and just laugh. La- LOL. LOL for an hour. So uh, free show, no tickets. Everything's taken care of. And I think that's it. So Saturday, Sunday, check out the art market. Oh, it's at River Spirit. River that was the other thing I was thinking of. I was yeah. like, there's something I'm missing. You guys got to know where it's at. Yeah. It's at River Spirit Casino in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on the second floor, the yeah, conference yeah. And, center. Yeah,
1: up in that ballroom area. Yeah, on the, the second floor.
0: The ballroom, second floor. That's right. So, yep, River Spirit Casino. Everybody, if you're around town, if you're coming down, that's where it is. Um, So, everybody, check out Okie Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out Unsolved Mysteries of the Reservation, wherever you listen to podcasts. Go follow me at Okie Podcast, at Rustmos 49 at Unsolved Reservation Mysteries, all on Instagram follow our tiktok at reservation underscore mysteries check out the website okiepodcast.com for the latest episodes of both podcasts and uh check out total island boys myself rama jackson have started that podcast so check us out on that one Uh, so i think that's all for now until next time everybody peace